We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Thursday, April 7th. I'm Brian Driscoll. That's Ryan Roberts. You know who we are. Let's get rocking and rolling, Ryan. Today, we're going to talk about Notre Dame recruiting, and we're going to talk about Notre Dame's 2023 recruiting class. And we're going to talk about whether or not Notre Dame's 2023 recruiting class can be – there's two ways of looking at it, Ryan. One is the number one ranked class from a perception standpoint. More importantly – can it be that kind of class that closes the gap? Like really, like not just that, like, you know, get you closer, but can it be that Notre Dame, here's the premise that Ryan and I have. This class, if things go right, has a chance to be that class that with what they've done the last two years, to not just get to Notre Dame closer, but just closes the gap. And it it can be that kind of class. It's going to be hard to do but it's possible. And I don't know if I've ever felt that Notre Dame could do that with one class this quickly. Again, when looking in context of the two previous classes along with it. Right. And so what needs to happen? And so as we've kind of talked about this and I, I wrote an article similar about this a couple of weeks ago at Irish breakdown, but Ryan, as we talk about it, the month of April is so important for Notre Dame. I mean, if they don't have success in this month, I mean, big success in this month, they're still going to get a gap closing class, but it's going to be a traditional gap closing class where, you know what, you know, you did well, it's a top five to seven class and you did better and your roster's even better or, or the difference between that or yeah, this class is that it's that class. It's that program changing class. And I really don't think they can just have an okay month of April and ultimately get that off because we're now what? mm, eight months away from signing day, right? Like it's so much quicker now, right? And and kids make decisions so much quicker now. And so this next, I mean, 25 to 30 days, kind of through April into early May, because early May meaning kids may commit in May, but it's based on their visit and things that have happened in April. This next month, Ryan, it ultimately is going to define whether or not Notre Dame can have that type of program changing 2023 class. 
I mean, I agree completely. I, I think that we talk a lot about the players that are on the cusp of of commitments, and you obviously made a post about that the other day as far as like what the over-under is on how many guys could commit into the class. But also, I think it's a big – I mean, this is a big momentum builder of, on some players as well, right? Because for a while – well, it's it's got a lot close. The gap has gotten closed now, but I mean, for a while there, Cornell Tate was looked at as probably a little bit of a you know a, a dream scenario, right? Like he wasn't a guy that maybe was on the cusp of being really feeling comfortable about his chances with Notre Dame. But you, if you're leaving summer feeling good about where that is with the momentum moving forward, Jay Nosberry was a guy that we did not think Notre Dame was going to be in great position with, and it seems like they are in a much better position than we originally anticipated. So. You have to use the momentum, not only the players that are you're going to commit this month, but also moving forward because there's going to be some play- players, some recruits, and it's completely up to them. It's their individual choice here. Some are very like, I want to let the process play out. I want to take all my officials and I want to make a, a decision a little further down the road. And that's totally fine. But Notre Dame needs to leave summer being one of those teams that makes a big impact, obviously, on those recruiting trails, both on the committed players that will be in the class soon and the ones that they're in a better position of maybe we originally anticipated but are going to take longer in their their decision-making process. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. We're going to go through this list and we're going to talk about committed players and, and uncommitted players and upsets and, and summer positioning is one of the things we're going to talk about. And to your point, you talk about Carnell Tate and Jane Osborne, there's other guys, but the reality is, is if you don't have success in April with the visits that are coming up with these kids, then you're not going to be in position to get them in the summer. And that's that all, it all ties in to why this next month is going to be that month for Notre Dame. And, and why it's important that they have success. And so I think the first thing to start off with, Ryan, is part of the reason that we think Notre Dame can have this kind of class is because of where they stand right now. I mean, they're the number one ranked class, and it's not really close. 
I mean, you talk about the nine kids that are committed. They're all four-star recruits. I think what, like eight of them are ranked in the rivals two. And actually, I think all nine of them are ranked in the rivals 250. I think, I believe still, uh, at least eight of them. You, you look at, I think five or six of them are ranked as top hundred players by at least one service, right? Like you've got Keon Keely is, Brendan Vernon is, Drake Bowen is, Justin Red is, and Justin uh, uh, Peyton Bowen is. It's not six anymore. It used to be six because Cooper Flanagan was 99 on the 247 sports rankings. But he's now down to, I believe, uh, 108, right? So he's just outside, right? Something like that. So he, I mean, the, the foundation is so important. Part of the very first part of this success in April is you've got two of the kids. There's three kids that are taking visits from this group that we know of. There's just three. And that would be taking visits to other programs. Obviously, Keon Keeley, Peyton Bowen, and Justin Rett. That we have varying levels levels of degree of confidence with each of those players, Ryan. But anytime a kid is taking visits, no matter how confident you are, there's there's always a concern that he's going to go somewhere just be blown away. So there's always concern there. Notre Dame is going to get as of right now. We we have confirmed with all with two of the three that they will be on campus for the blue gold game. I'm not sure about Justin Rett. I'm not saying he isn't. I just don't remember seeing his name. Is he going to be up in town for the blue gold game? Yeah, Ryan, I believe so. I, your head? I, I believe the only the list now. I believe the only commit that will not be at the blue and gold game that Cooper has been Flanagan. verified is Cooper Flanagan. Yep. Okay. So we have it down there. Justin Rett is on our list. So mm-hmm. you're going to have all three of those kids on campus for the blue gold game. Uh, we have confirmed with both Keon and Peyton that they will also be there. And it's going to be very, very important for Notre Dame for at least two of those guys to get very firm. I don't say recommitments, but you know, look if Keon Keeley still wants to take official visits, you say, okay, take official visits. I mean, I, I don't, you don't love it. You're not happy about it, but the thing that they need to understand is guys, if you really are like, I understand if you aren't sure if Notre Dame's a place for you, you, you have to make sure that it's the right place for you because I've always believed Ryan, that if kids don't do what it takes to feel sure that the decision they make is the right one, it's much easier or it's much harder to then deal with the adversity that comes down the road when something doesn't go their way, right? And and I'm and I'm I'm, this, I'm saying this as someone who who made the wrong decision in college. I went to a college for the wrong reasons and never was comfortable with it, and just did. I mean, I started as a freshman, but just things didn't go my. And I transferred, right? So this isn't this isn't a place of criticism. It's just advice of as a player, as a coach when kids make decisions like this and they're not sure that this is the right decision and they just end it because they don't want to go back on their word or whatever, then what tends to happen is they end up flipping late, real late in the process, or they leave early in their careers. And so it's not just about getting them to recommit. It's about can getting them to be convinced that, yeah, this is the place for you. Because if, if those guys are still taking visits it's a harder sell for the staff to other players. If, for example, Keon Keeley or and or Peyton Bowen and or Justin Rett came out of the blue gold game in April saying, hey, you know what, man? I remember now why I picked Notre Dame. This is the place for me. I'm done. I'm not taking officials. I'm taking one official visit. That's to Notre Dame. That is something that the staff can really use to sell to other recruits because right now, you can't sell Keon being in your class or Peyton Bowen being in your class 
as as well as you could because they're still taking visits. And, you know, you try to sell that to a kid that's looking at Alabama, Bama's going to be like, that kid's been on our campus like two times already. You know what I mean? Like he's, you know, Ohio State can be like, hey, we, we had that kid on our campus recently. Now, whether or not they actually have a shot at him is a different conversation. And you and I have always felt confident that Keon's going to end up at Notre Dame. We've always felt good about that. He's just too good of a fit at Notre Dame not to not to end up at Notre Dame. But it, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be an effective recruiting ploy for those schools with other players. If they come out of those visits saying, hey, this is it for me, um, I'm done, uh, Notre Dame's place for me, now I'm going to do what I need to do to get the the, the best players with me, that's going to be huge. So step number one, priority number one for the Notre Dame staff is as, as best as they can getting the committed players to to remind everyone that they are they are committed players. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously the overarching – allure of Notre Dame is not just the football team, right? It is the entire culture. It's the entire campus. It's what it can do for you long-term. But the one layer that we haven't talked about much is the fact that when these, all three of these players committed, there was a different head coach, right? <laughs> and that's, it, I mean, that's a, that's a co- different conversation. The, the practice is going to be run a little different. What you've seen of the program in the past is just going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a different feel to it. Now, the positive to these three players is that they're all defensive players and they all are there because, well, for a large degree because of Marcus Freeman, right? That, that is a, a, what has been consistent throughout this transition period is the fact that the guy that they were really clinging to and the guy that really was able to sell them the vision of the defense is still on campus and is still and is now running things even even to a higher level. So I think I feel pretty good about where they are. And I know we talk about varying levels of degree. I have not wavered from Keon Keeley. I feel like he's in a in a good spot. Justin Rett, I, I've not wavered at all. And then obviously Peyton Bowen's one that we need to talk a little bit more about. But I, I really do think that I really do think that the fact that Marcus Freeman is the person that got the head coaching job, I feel like that's going to go a long way to really selling these these kids here in the spring that this is the right spot for them. I tried to see this is how the professional Ryan is, folks. I tried to get him to laugh in the middle of his of his commentary with this comment from fat fish and I couldn't do it. So Ryan's professionalism grows by leaps and da- bounds on a daily basis. So I appreciate is, is that. that. Is that what we're going to do? We're going to try to make each other laugh. No, I, I'm allowed to do that. You're <laughs> okay. not allowed to do that <laughs> because I will, I will fail. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to tell you right now. Uh, I, I, I agree. I agree with you that, that I, we, especially Justin Rhett, I, I'm not concerned at all. I, I'm, I'm not, I would not say I'm not concerned about Keon because I, I do think when he visits these campuses, he gives those schools a, an honest chance to make their pitch. Uh, it's not like Dante Moore visiting Ohio State this past weekend. It, it just I just think he's going there thinking like you're going to have to you're going to convince me of something really big because I, he really does love Notre Dame. And and I think that was only solidified when he visited in March. I think that helped because, you know, when when you're as far away as a kid like Keon is, you can't just come back every other weekend like Drake Bowen can. Right. Or, you know, I mean, if Brennan Vernon wants to come to practice, it's like a four and a half hour drive. It's it's something he can do more, you know, more often than than Keon can come from Tampa, Florida. Right. So I think those things help. But yeah, I, I've always felt comfortable with it. But again, it's not so much about. This isn't so much about the point I'm making, right? It's so much about whether or not I think Keon's going to be in the class. I think that he is. It's more of the longer he remains sort of 
still looking, mm-hmm. it makes it harder for Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman and, and, and all that to, to be able to convince those other prospects like, hey, look, man, you're going to be playing behind this cat. Hey, Jason Moore, Devin Houston, you're going to be playing with Keon Keeley. You know, you're going to be playing with Brennan Vernon. Well, the Brennan Vernon part's solid. The Drake Bowen part is solid, right? It's the Justin Rett part, I think, is solid. It's, but with, you know, I mean, right now, arguably your two highest ranked players in the class are Peyton Bowen and, and, and Keon Keeley. Now, I think part of that is because of the fact that they're still looking around, if we're going to be honest, you know, sure. in Keon's case. But I think other players have dropped because they're not looking around. If we're if Drake Bowen was still taking visits right now, he, he wouldn't be dropping the way that he is. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind. But it is what it is. So I think those are important. Those are, those are keys, number one, uh, in this whole process. Is if you can come out of April with those guys saying, hey, we're locked in, then I think that helps. And then, of course, Ryan, when we look at the number two thing, it's it's Dante Moore. We had a little nugget on the message board about, about Dante. Look, I don't think this can happen without Dante Moore because it, with all due respect to other quarterbacks on the board, they're good players. They're not Dante Moore. From, from a talent standpoint or from a perception standpoint. And and both of those matter in recruiting. I mean, whether whether we like it's like Tate Martell committing to Ohio State had an impact on Ohio State's recruiting. Now, you and I, I'm sure, I didn't know you then, but I guarantee you that we probably had the same opinion on Tate Martell as a quarterback. No. No. That kid's not even a top 200 player, much less a five-star. But to recruits, it's it's Tate Martell from Bishop Gorman and he's ranked a five-star and all this other kind of stuff and it matters. So perception does matter, but practically speaking, forget the perception part of it, which is important. Dante Moore isn't Tate Martell. Dante Moore's a, a phenomenal talent. And so I don't think you can you can have a great top five to seven class without Dante Moore. You can't have a program-changing class without Dante Moore. And, and so getting him to commit and make it known mm-hmm. in the month of April, to me, is is ultimately at the I mean we could have done this number one it, it's the number one thing from an important standpoint it's number two from a just a line of make putting a good show together right you focus on the committed kids first but practically speaking they're they're not going to have the tidal wave on offense that they could have without Dante Moore committing I just I I believe that right yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that Dante Moore committing. So, I mean, like, let's phrase it like this for a second, right? You talked about the three guys that we need that Notre Dame needs to close on or not close on per se to resell the vision, right? We're talking about a defensive end out of the state of Florida. We're talking about a safety out of the state of Texas. And we're talking about a quarterback out of the state of Nevada, Bishop Gorman, one of the better uh, almost like colleges, one of the better high schools in high school football. Those three are, I don't want to call them rarities, Brian, because Notre Dame recruits nationally, but getting those three regions right there is a huge start to the class. You want to talk about, I mean, usually we're talking a little bit more about, well, Notre Dame might get an early Midwest commit. They might get a guy that's, you know, relatively close, a Northeast, North, maybe something a little closer to Notre Dame. That fact that they're tapping into those regions early is big because we have talked all the, all, a lot this offseason about how important it is for Notre Dame to get into Texas this year. And you pull, you know, the best defensive back out of Texas, right? Like the best, one of the best safeties in, in all of high school football out of the state of Texas. So 
the reason that we I feel confident that Notre Dame can contend for number one class, let's be honest about it. It's because there's a five-star quarterback that's on the board, and he's two and a half hours away. This is a rarity. This doesn't happen every well, single year. Because this, let's talk about the guy you just talked about, Ryan, Peyton mm-hmm. Bowen. Yeah, One of the big draws to Oklahoma right now is Jackson Arnold, his high school teammate. Now, the, the reality is, is that that's always going to be a pull to Oklahoma, but it's an easier sell for Notre Dame when you're like, hey, look, we love Jackson. We like Jackson a lot, too. We recruited Jackson, but look, man, you know, this this is the deal here. It, it, it's just another feather in your cap, even for a kid like Jackson Arnold, who, I mean, excuse me, Peyton Bowen, who has a top 100 quarterback on his high school team that is part of the reason he's looking at Oklahoma. I mean, so so even for a kid like that, like I think to your point, uh, Dante Moore is – it's a needle mover for kids. It doesn't mean it's ultimately going to make every single kid pick Notre Dame. It's not. They're going to miss on kids they want. But, mm-hmm. man, it's, it's a big-time needle-moving commitment, and especially for a kid who is already committed, Ryan, it can be that thing that says, you know what? Especially if Dante does it before the blue gold game, then Peyton visits later. And, you know, if, if Dante's able to be there, right? So, so reason I interrupted you is for even for a kid like that, I think that that landing a kid like Dante Moore is is paramount to to saying, yeah, Notre Dame is the place. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just generally how quarterbacks work, right? Because it's, I mean, you don't have a class as good as we have this year every single year, but there's a couple guys in this class that are needle movers. Like Malachi Nelson's a guy that can sell coming to play with Malachi Nelson. Arch Manning, although we talk about like maybe he's a little overrated from a recruiting ranking perspective, he's a big name. People are going to want to come to play with Arch Manning. Like there's no doubt about it. And people are going to want to come to play with Dante Moore. And in the case of Peyton Bowen, his court, his quarterback right now, Jackson Arnold might not be going to Notre Dame. But he might have a second glance and be like, oh, but that guy's really good too. Like he's right. he's he's no slouch, you know what I mean? Right. So yes, I think quarterback is the gatekeeper for a reason. They they are the key to a class every single year. You get a great one in the fold, and things just kind of seem to fall into place. To your right. point with Tate Martell, the perception was higher than the actual product of Tate Martell, but the fact that he was a name and the perception was out there, it leads to a great class. It's just mm-hmm. how it works. And I'm actually pulling up his his stuff now because I, I believe that Ohio State like had a I mean that that 2017 class was was pretty loaded if I remember correctly yeah finished number two that year uh, in the class but it, it's yeah here here's the other guys they got on offense in that class <clears throat> J.K. Dobbins it's pretty good Trayvon Grimes Josh Myers Wyatt Davis Thayer Munford I'd say that's pretty good pretty mm-hmm. good group of offensive players right you know but I, I think too it, it's not just about Dante alone like Dante alone isn't going to cause 15 different guys to pick Notre Dame but what it does is there may be you know two or three guys that immediately you're like yep okay that's it that's it for me I'm going to Notre Dame because Dante is then that plus that plus that Dante plus that kid plus the other kid plus the third kid that's all of a sudden how that tidal wave starts right and that's kind of where it comes from it's like Okay, man, y'all got Dante. Oh man, y'all got Keon Keeley. Like, when was the last time Notre Dame had two top ten players in the same in the, in the country? Here's your answer. It's never happened in the rivals era. I went back and looked. They've never done it. Like even years where they've gotten multiple top like five star players. So like 2013, they got f- multiple five star players. Only Jalen Smith was a top ten guy. 
in 2020 in 2011 they got multiple five-star players none of them were top 10 Aaron Lynch was the highest ranked guy he was not a top 10 player Eshek Williams not a top 10 player 2008 you got three five-star players you've got you got Dane Christ you've got uh you got Michael Floyd and you got Kyle Rudolph none of them were top 10 players and and so you you just Jimmy Clausen so I mean they, the number of top 10 national players they've gotten, and I'm talking the composite ranking, there's been guys that individually by one service, like Tommy Kramer was a top 10 player by 247. I'm talking about as a service, like as a composite. They've never had more than – they've never had two top 10 – they haven't had that many top 10 players, period. You know, you had Manti in 09. You had Jimmy in 07, Jalen in 13. Uh, I think that's it. As far as just like top 10 players, I, I can't think of who else they had that was a top Sam Young in 2000. Uh, uh, I think Sam Young in 06 was. I'm actually going to look that up. I know that one service for sure had him as a top 10 player. Uh, I think one service even had him as the, like the number two player in the country, uh, I believe, Ryan. So I'm, I'm going to just look up what his national ranking is. But the moral of the story is he was eighth. So he was also top 10. The moral of the story is. Notre Dame hasn't had that many top 10 players, period, much less two in the same class. That stuff matters. And so Keon's a top 10 player nationally. Dante's mm-hmm. a top 10 player nationally. Now, whether or not they drop out six months from now because they committed to Notre Dame is irrelevant to the fact of the impact it will have now in the month of April. And that's the premise of this, is what they do with his ranking six months from now won't impact the impact that that would have if he were to to pick Notre Dame publicly now in April. And that's what makes it so important. Yeah. No, it's the timing of everything. This is obviously, like you said, it's a big month. There's a lot of players that are on the cusp of making a commitment. It seems. And Dante Moore seems to be one of them. So it's, it's absolutely a needle mover because I just think the timing of everything and then going into the season, if Notre Dame's able to have a nice start to the season, they're able to you know get a few nice wins, have a good product on the field, and that's where the momentum keeps building. So Dante Moore is the key to this class, and I know everyone wants to keep talking about him. And and I, honestly, you kind of get a little tired of all the posts about it because we're we're going to share the updates as we can. But I mean, right? It's it's obviously worth talking about because he is such an important right. cog to the it, cog to the machine. And that's where the patience needs to come on our end. Is like, look. We, we get why y'all are asking questions about that. We we get that y'all are fired up about it. We get why. It, it's just like any anything new on Dante? I, I went back. No, we know, we know, but we're you know we have stuff, but you know we're just not going to tell you. Look, we've told you everything that if you're a member of the message board for sure. But even on here, you you pretty much get you you pretty much like. I mean, how long have we been saying like no matter what's being reported elsewhere? Look, Notre Dame's in a good position with Dante Moore, right? I mean. Even when it was, oh, Michigan, and oh, then it was Michigan State, then it was Miami. Like, okay, just – and nothing's changed. But it's just like – but until he goes public, it's just – it's going to be nerve-wracking for Notre Dame. And there's nothing behind my goes public comment in that instance. It's just making a, a, a statement that, about – even if we said, hey, he's a silent commit, you know, and I'm not saying that. But even if we did, there's some people like, well, if he's still taking visits, it doesn't matter. It's going to be about, you know, when he finally makes that decision to say, hey, look, this is where I want to be, and I'm going to tell the world about it. It's going to send shockwaves to Notre Dame Nation, but it's going to send shockwave to the rest. And as you said, Ryan, he's the key to this being a number one class. Notre Dame is going to have an outstanding top seven class, even without Dante Moore. Mm. It's good, But it's going to look a lot like last year's class. Really good, 
but not good enough to really close the gap on those other programs. It's just because at the end of the day, the reason Dante is such a big time recruit is because fans recognize just like the name coaches do that in today's era of college football, the Georgia 2021 teams are anomalies. They're rarities that you can't count on where you're able to win with a Spencer, you know, Stetson Bennett at quarterback. It just, it's, it's not the case and it's not going to happen in Notre Dame as we've seen. And, and so they understand that, look, a big time quarterback like that is important. And I think that being able to land one like that two years after Tyler Buckner adds some thought of, well, now you've, you've got, you know, we talked a lot about margin for error in yesterday's show. Yep. I, I think that's part of it too. Is like, well, if Tyler Buckner doesn't pan out, you've kind of got that next guy coming in next season. And I think there's that relief there. But if Tyler does pan out, then Dante becomes the continuation of that excellence. And I think that's what has Notre Dame fans excited. He's either going to start something great or continue something great if he picks yeah. Notre Dame. Uh, and, and that's that's just – I mean, I so the, it, that reason alone, Ryan, I understand, and I think fans are correct to to be this hyped up about Dante Moore. It's not about undue hype on a player. It's about understanding how important quarterback is to success in college football today. Mm-hmm. I think that it, I mean, and Brian, if if Notre Dame was going to catch a, a number one class, if they were going to claim one, I think this is like this is the time to do it because the the optimism and the enthusiasm over Notre Dame football with Coach Freeman taking over this offseason is at an all time high. I mean, people are legit, like so excited just to see what's going to happen next. And if Coach Freeman is able to start his full full cycle and put a quality product in maybe the number one class of the country or top two to three, whatever it ends up being, with a five-star quarterback to the caliber of a Dante Moore. I mean, that's paramount, man. Like, that is showing, like, hey, I am here. We are playing with the big boys. Like, I'm not here to just be a good program. I am here to take it to the next level. So the timing aspect that you talked about with when Dante would commit to Notre Dame if he chooses that so, I think timing goes all the way through the entire program. The time, the the now – to Coach Freeman's first year, because if you have a good momentum throughout the season, you sign the number one recruiting class, then it's go time, man. Yeah. We keep talking about when's the national championship going to come. It needs to change you start things right like now. Like it's realistic now. No, that's a great exactly. point, Ryan. Like it's building on momentum, right? Like that's your point. Is like the momentum's already started. That's why we say you're going to have a top seven class. It's because of Marcus Freeman and the staff he's put together. You're going to have a top seven class. Like I'm as confident that Notre Dame's going to have a five to seven class as I've been in a long time without Dante Moore. But again, five to seven doesn't necessarily get you there if it doesn't include an elite quarterback. That's the key. And so you're absolutely right. It's like a a good friend of mine in the recruiting world, uh, we were talking about a week and a half ago, and he's like, it's like, Marcus Freeman's going to mess around and get the number one class in the country in his first year, isn't he? And I was like, he might. <laughs> you know, he, he said, I think, no, he said, he, he said, he, Marcus Freeman may end up having the best recruiting class, uh, Notre Dame's best recruiting class in, in the, in the modern era. And the modern era in our terms is since the recruiting service has started, right? So like, it was like around 02, 2002 in his first year, isn't he? And I was like, yeah. Because that would be the number one class. I mean, they've had number twos, they've had number threes, right? So the only way to have the best ever is number one. And, you know, and, and again, quarterback is the key to that. Because, like, let's let's be honest. I mean, the the number two ranked class in Notre Dame had the best class they ever had in the rivals era of, from a from a 
ranking standpoint, was number two. They had a five-star quarterback in that class. Now, he ended up not panning out, but you had a five-star quarterback in Dane Christ in that class. And, you know, Dane had an impact. Getting Dane Chris had an impact. It made it easier to keep Michael Floyd in the class and get Dan Walker and Kyle Rudolph. And, you know, and, and uh, jo- I think Jonas Gray was part of that class, too, in 08. So it certainly matters. But it can't just be Dante Moore. This April also has to be about closing on some other top players that you're in a good position with. And to me, you know, Braylon James is, is to me, at the top of that list because I think if, if – it's going to go one of two ways, either Dante commits soon, which then leads to, you know, maybe Braylon making that decision. And then that, that's the moment, that's the, you know, it could be like maybe Dante goes first. If Dante picks Notre Dame and and decides to make a decision in April, he goes first. And then, you know, let's say Braylon makes the same decision. And then now that's the momentum. That's the, that's the key. It's that second one is the key, or it could be, Braylon makes a decision first and he's going to make his announcement for wherever he's going to go on the 19th of April. And then Dante follows suit. And then all of a sudden the momentum goes right. So it's going to be one or the other, but I think Braylon James is a must get for Notre Dame. And I'm glad that he is announced because there was talk that he was contemplating waiting until the summer to, to announce a decision, which would give him time to, you know, be certain about whatever his decision is. He has decided that he wants to do it now and we're 12 days away from that. And, you know, we think no name's in a great place. And that's as far as we're willing to go with that conversation. But he would be another guy that you're talking about another top 100 player, Ryan, mm-hmm. that would would continue that momentum. And it's not just, and this is to the point you were, we'll circle back something you said earlier. It's not just that Braylon James is a highly ranked player. It's not just that he's a talented player. It's he's a skilled player from Texas that Texas and Texas A&M wanted desperately so it's not just that he's a good player there's that momentum of hey Peyton you ain't you're not coming up here alone buddy you know what I mean and I think that also adds to that notion of this is why a guy like Braylon James would be such an important pickup for none there's the practical reason which is always the most important he's a really good player that's a great fit for the Notre Dame offense he's also a great fit for Notre Dame period right because he's a phenomenal student he's thoughtful he's worldly in, mm-hmm. in all the, the positive ways I could mean that, right? I mean, how many, how often do you meet a 16, 17-year-old kid that's like, I want to go out of state because I want to experience more of the world? You don't hear yeah. that much from young people. It just says a lot about who Braylon is and how he was raised, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, and it's like kids like that go to Notre Dame. And that's why I think we felt good about where Notre Dame stood for a while, but you've got to seal the deal. And, and you know, that 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 would be part of that really big, um, that really big momentum aspects of this. Yeah. I mean, Braylon's a great fit for, as a person, obviously it's also a great fit. Cause if there's a question that gets asked behind the Dante Moore question, it's wide receiver recruiting. Like that is one of the biggest one. Cause we know that the numbers and just the continuation of putting talented players into the receiving room is paramount for this team moving forward. So not only are you getting a top 100 wide receiver, you're also touching the state of Texas, which we right. keep talking about it being such a big moment. And I'll be honest, Brian, like I had somebody, a uh, buddy that follows recruiting closely. It was like, there's no way Braylon James is going to leave the state of Texas to go up to South Bend, Indiana. I'm like, well, we'll see, man. He likes him a lot. It could happen. There's a possibility there. So I think again, tapping into the, the important states that Notre Dame needs to touch 
the Texas, the Floridas. We talk about California, how important that is, keeping the Midwest kids in, you know, in, in South Bend. Getting a, 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 a top 100 wide receiver out of the state of Texas in this class, it's undeniably important. It would be it a would lot be of huge. Yeah. Yeah, it would be huge. And it's it's also, again, there's there's different layers to any recruitment and, and commitment. And should they get Braylon James, it's 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 the momentum, it's Texas, it's all those kind of things. But this is when we talk about like one builds on another. It's never just like they got this one guy, so the next 13 guys all came because of that guy. It's not really how it works alone. It's impactful, but it's they got that guy, which led to 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 that, right? And so we've talked about Cardinal Tate a lot and how important he is to this class. And the thing about Cardinal Tate is, and, and you know, talking to Sean, because there's nobody more cued in on Cardinal Tate's recruitment in the media than Sean Davis, who's our a recruiting analyst at Irish Breakdown. I mean, nobody. And you talk to Sean and, and, and Carnell's thing is he's a, he's a smart kid. Carnell's a really smart kid. And if you listen to the interview with Sean, you get that he's a real thoughtful kid and he understands Carnell understands two things very clearly among many other important aspects to recruiting. Number one is if I'm going to be a great player and win a championship, I need a great guy throwing me the football. Right. I mean, that's duh. And then the other one is, is I can't be the only weapon. Right. And so Carnell, according, you know, talking to Sean and his conversation with Carnell is Notre Dame landing other big time receivers is actually going to be a benefit because we've had people ask us, like, if they get Braylon James early, is that going to hurt with Cardinal Tate? And the answer is the exact opposite. It helps because he can now look and say, okay, they got Tobias Merriweather last year. If they get Braylon James, they got Braylon James. They're going to have dudes at tight end. Like, okay, yeah. If I were to go to Notre Dame, they can't just double team me all game because I'm the, I'm it, right? And so Cardinal gets that, and it, it's not that it's again none of these things are okay. This happens, and that means this. But it's just another one of those feathers in Notre Dame's cap to where when you talk about the momentum building towards a number one class. To me, Braylon James isn't getting enough conversation as being a part of that, you know, because it, it would be either a momentum starter or a momentum builder. But either way, depending on the timing of other people, but either way, you know, I think Braylon James would be a big, big part of this practically and from a perception standpoint. And those are the two mm-hmm. things that matter, in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, I mean, Notre Dame needs numbers in this wide receiver group because so they need multiple guys. This isn't just the Cornell Tate and then you could sign whoever, whoever else, you know, off the, off the street. Like you need some dudes all the way across the board. And I think everyone can agree when you watch Braylon James's tape, if you have already, Kid is a very talented player. He's explosive. He's got a frame where he, I think he's going to be 6'2", 6'3", and, you know, 205, 210 pounds when everything is said and done. He's a very explosive kid. There's a high upside to a Braylon James. So it's not just about Cornell Tate and then see who else we can get. That's not the end-all be-all for Notre Dame. Notre Dame needs to put a three to four, maybe five-man wide receiver crest across the board, pushing it if we have some versatility there. But Notre Dame needs numbers in this cycle, and they need dudes. There's no doubt about it. So I'm I'm trying to see if I got 
the okay from somebody to pub- publish his numbers from a, a camp he was at this summer that had electronic testing. Braylon James did. And I'm, I'm not sure if I'm able to post those numbers or not, so I just put a message in. But needless to say, Ryan, when we make those public, it, you're going to be like, oh, okay. Yep. Uh-huh. I get it. That guy's explosive. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, he, he's a just, he's a guy and you know, it's, it's, um, uh, it, he's an important one. And another important one is, is a local, another local guy. And this is, this is part of the reason that you talk about the musts for Notre Dame it, big, not necessarily for April, but just big picture. But a lot, th- we've talked about how good of a year this is in the North, in the Northeast. Notre Dame has to tap into that in a big, big way. And one of the guys that's part of that is Charles Jagasaw. He's going to be on campus this weekend. I believe he's going to be at Notre Dame on Saturday in Michigan on Sunday. Correct, Ryan? Is that the order or is it the other way around? I always forget. He's going to be at Notre Dame and Michigan this weekend. I think it's Notre Dame than Michigan. Notre Dame's in a great place there. I mean, but again, it's it's about closing. Anytime you're the school to beat for a kid and Notre Dame is the school to beat, anytime that's true, the longer the recruitment goes on, the the, the more you, you worry, right? Because it's like, if we're the school, what's he waiting on? And I think that's the nervousness that a lot of people have. It's almost like our confidence in Dante has created additional angst with Notre Dame fans. Because it's like, well, if that's true, then, you know, why why – is he not committing? And it's, I think the same thing is true. If, if Charles Jagasaw doesn't pop in April, if he doesn't make a decision in April or, or early May, then I think it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, I, I'll get nervous personally, to be honest with you, you know? And I think, I think closing on him in April is important because number one, practically he's a big time player. And number two, he's a regional kid. And then number three, you're, you just you need to kick off the offensive line class because the offensive line class is going to be important. And it could be as few as three guys. I mean, honestly, if they got the right three man class, I'm okay with that. They just signed five last year, five the year before. I can live with a three man class if it's a Jagasaw, Freeling type of three man class, right? And they choose to go, you know, numbers elsewhere. I I think that I think four is still the number that they want. But you've got to get that momentum started at some point, and what better way to do it than with a top hundred player on the board? I mean, that, that, again, who's in your backyard, basically? I mean, Illinois needs to be Notre Dame territory, unless a kid's from like East St. Louis or that that part that's like right, that's real far away, that's not really a. I mean, but if a kid's from Illinois, for the most part, nine times out of ten, that that's got to be treated like a Notre Dame backyard kid, and they they've got to get those guys if they want them, and they definitely want Charles Jagasaw. Yeah, and he's an high academic kid, obviously, for the interest here. And, I mean, right now, Brian, it's – I mean, we talked a little bit about this the other day about why Notre Dame needs to tap into Missouri a little bit more, like the St. Louis area specifically. I mean, univer- I mean, Illinois, the top school in the state is University of Illinois. They obviously can't recruit with you if you're Notre Dame, if you want a kid there. And Jagasaw's top other school outside of Notre Dame, it's perceived that it is the University of Iowa, right? So, Notre- and although Iowa has done a good job – of developing offensive linemen, Notre Dame should not be losing battles one-on-one against Iowa for a offensive lineman if they want him. So mm-hmm. Jagasaw is a very important player in this class. Cause I agree. I don't think that the numbers, I think the quality is more important than maybe just the quantity in this class, but I would still like Notre Dame personally also to get to four if they can. But I mean, Jagasaw's upside is about as high as any offensive lineman in this class nationally. Like not just on Notre Dame's board. This kid is, a legit 6'6", with length, 300-plus pounds, 
wrestler, all state wrestler, has very good hands and he has quick feet. Technically, he needs to get obviously more refined when he really focuses on football. But this kid could be, you could tell me he's a starting offensive tackle in the future if he lands at Notre Dame. You could you could tell me that he's one of the most dominant guards in college football as well. I think the upside is just substantial with a guy like Charles Jagasaw. I want to go back to 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 Braylon James. I just got the okay. So Ryan, this was his numbers from an event where it was electronically tested times. This is from a combine that he competed in. So he's 6'2", you know, he's a little over 6'2", uh, 182. He had a 77 and a quarter inch wingspan. Which is massive. <laughs> massive. Yep. 4'4", four, four, in the 40-yard dash. It's faster than I thought, to be mm-hmm. honest. That's nice, yeah. 4'2", four, four, in the shuttle. Solid. 38 and a half inch vertical. It's decent. And a 130 broad jump. 10-10 broad as a 16 or 17-year-old. in high school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty good. 130-inch broad jump. So, yeah. To put that into perspective for a second, folks, I know we've been talking a lot about NFL draft recently. Obviously, we're only a couple weeks away from the 2022 event kicking off. Those numbers would rival some of the best in this class as guys going into the professional ranks. Yeah. That is silly Silly these are electronic times. Those were electronic right. times. The, They're legit. The dash. Yeah. Right. right. So this isn't like, yeah. So, I mean, again, and that's the thing that I've always said is this kid's got speed that people don't realize he has yet. Because as a receivers coach, I can look at that and say, he his technique keeps him from being as fast as he's going to be. And that's the discussion you and I have had. I'm like, look, when he gets coached up without the strength program, just that coaching alone is going to make this kid faster. And that's part of the evaluation for a, a college receivers coach is looking at that, like, and being able to evaluate that. So those are really impressive numbers for a 6'2", 180 plus pound kid that's 16, 17 years old. I mean, those are those are really good numbers. And for context, Jaden Lamar was at a camp out west mm-hmm. that had electronically timed forty, and he had the fastest forty time at the event with a four five three, is what I read. You know, so so Braden James is four four seven, okay, and so and this isn't someone telling me that. This is someone taking a screenshot of his results and sending it to me, right? And so, uh, again, yes, the ranking is important, top hundred and all that, but at the end of the day, Braylon James is a really good football player that mm-hmm. Texas wants bad. Yeah. So, um, and, he, and he's in their backyard. And yes. he's in their backyard. Yeah. Yes. He's not. He's not far from there. So that that would be a big one. And it it also would show to your point, Ryan, as we kind of jump back to him because I was able to get that being able to go to Texas for a kid that you weren't really leading on previously says a lot about Chancey Stuckey's the relationship he built to begin with. But it also goes to show there's a lot more players like Braylon James out there that people don't realize. Why was Notre Dame not a player for him beforehand? Right? Because in every, every like he is the kid they always say isn't out there. Right? It's like when the, it's like Marvin Mims. Marvin Mims, like, I, we got asked a question the other day, and it's hard for me to say this. And, and I try to refrain from answering this question, but it's like going back over six or seven years, who are the guys you think Notre Dame would have landed if Marcus Freeman was the head coach? And I'm like, well, you know, that's hard to say. That's one that I feel like if this current, not in the Marcus Freeman, if this current staff was here six, five, five six years, 
Mm-hmm. And it's hard to say, but the one that I would say for sure is a guy like Marvin Mims, right? And I mean, you're talking about a kid that was committed to Stanford at one point in time. So clearly the academic piece is there. And so this is that ex- another example of that. A kid from Texas that's academically oriented that if you do what you're supposed to do as a coaching staff, you're going to get. But the previous coaching staff probably wouldn't have tried to get on him until the summer. And by that point in time, he's like, well, dude, I'm already committed to, to Stanford. Or I'm already committed to Texas or you know, Ohio State or LSU or something, right? And and that's, again, that's an example of – he is an example of why this staff is different. Because when when this staff got hired and, and I saw that they, you know, talking about going after Braylon James, I was like, I don't get <laughs> Braylon James. You know what I mean? Like, you don't go to Texas and get those kind of kids. And this is coming from someone who thinks that this staff was pretty – you know, that Marcus Freeman could do some pretty impressive things and has been advocating for how good of a job Tommy Reese has done for a year. And I'm like, not going to happen. Right. And the fact that it's got a chance of happening is just says a lot about the staff. You got him, you got Jagasaw. If you're able to get Dante Moore, Braylon James, and Charles Jagasaw in April, right? That's three top 100 recruits on offense. This -hmm. whole conversation about, oh, is offense going to catch up to the defense? That's gone if you get those three kids. And, and that's this, that is to me the foundation. The reason we talk about them, that's the foundation of the snowball effect that we think needs to happen. Not, not just, can happen, but needs to happen if Notre Dame's going to have a number one ranked recruiting class. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that they're they're that important to this to this whole thing happening. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, you you said it loud and clear again. You, you look at the positions that are in and I mean, again, and also we didn't even mention this, and I know we've talked about this before. Set nine commitments in the class right now. Seven of nine are on the defensive side of the football, and we're just talking about a couple offensive players, obviously with Charles Jagasaw, offensive lineman, and wide receiver Braylon James. So Notre Dame does need to get the offensive side of recruiting kicked off a little bit this month. Like that is another thing that is paramount in this class. And I mean, if that just tells you the caliber, because I mean, Brian, like we talked about the importance of Texas. We keep talking about that, but the previous five years, Notre Dame has only signed three players from the state of Texas in the previous five recruiting classes, right? They now have a legitimate chance if they're able to sign Braylon James to have two early on in this process. So who knows how everything shakes out? So, I mean, again, it's a, it's a big, big point of emphasis, I believe, you know, and obviously there is a connection with Chancey Stuckey being a Baylor. Like he's, he's obviously very familiar with a lot of some of these Texas, Texas players that are coming up through the ranks, but I really think that it's also a point of change in the recruiting dynamics where, like, why are we not going into Texas? Why are we backing down from these Texas schools to keep them in right. state? Why are we not going, you know, X, Y, Z? Like, why are we not touching these different sections that we haven't touched as much recently? And I think that that's just the ability to understand that we need to compete and we can compete. Right. One of the things that, that we'll talk about in the show here as well, Ryan, and is you to have a, a class like that, you got to pull off some upsets, right? Well, the reality is, is things like this lead to upsets. And here's an example. We, what we talked about, if Peyton Bowen just says, you know what, man, forget it. I'm, I'm, I'm all Notre Dame, man. You know, I, I've, I've enjoyed taking visits, but I'm all Notre Dame. And then let's just say they are able to get Braylon James in, in April. Now, all of a sudden when Darren Gallette visits another star from Texas, when he visits, because that kid's upside is as high as any linebacker on the board for Notre Dame. I mean, he's still raw, and there's a there's a, a little bit more boomer bust with him, but the boom potential is enormous with that kid. Mm-hmm. But now, all of a sudden, there's two other kids from Texas in the class. He's another kid that's that's into the academic aspect of things. 
it, those type of things get made easier when you keep adding on to and adding on to and adding on to. And that's the whole point, Ryan, is you, you want to get more kids from Texas, sign more kids from Texas, and then that makes it easier to get the next group of kids from Texas. It's always that first batch that can be the hardest, right? And and so that's why it's important. And you're getting them on both sides of the ball, potentially. All those things just kind of factor into it. And, you know, and then there's another guy, Ryan, that's really an intriguing player that I think could be part of a momentum, an April momentum swing. And that is, look, Notre Dame wants a second back in this class. And the guy they've zeroed in on is Jane Lamar. That's the guy they want as the number two back in this class. Not number two as in like he's the second back in a ranking order. He's the second back from a number standpoint. They already have one. And, and he would be the guy, in my view, that they would actually rank at the top. I mean, he'd be their best running back in the class. And that's Jay Lamar. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because a month ago you're talking to him and it's like, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to visit Notre Dame and they're going to be my top group, but I'm not sure when I definitely know I'm going here and here, but I'm not sure when I'm going to Notre Dame to now, when we enter the month of April, you're like, boy, this is Notre Dame could be tough to beat for this kid now, especially if things really go well when he visits in April. And now he's been on campus before, but Mm-hmm. If things go well on April 23rd, then, you know, hey, you know what, this could be a deal. So, again, it just adds to just another big, important piece, because now you're talking about a four-star running back, a top 250 kid. It just adds to just that that ranking to where the point you made early is it's just from a pure ranking standpoint, this month could lead to Notre Dame being so far ahead, they'd almost have to not get anybody worth a darn the rest of the way to not be number one at that point in time. And I don't know if this matters too much, Brian, but you can correct me if I'm wrong here, because obviously you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. I felt like for a few years there, and this was obviously before I started covering recruiting, I felt like the university of Washington kind of was a, was a kind of thorn in the, in the side pain in their butt and getting a kid out of the, out of the state of Washington back to back years. I mean, that's, that's a nice little push, I think, you know, at least like a little sign, like, you know, well, like we're not because what was it? It was Kyler Devon, Gordon was one, right? right. Where they we missed wanted, out on. It was him. They wanted uh, Jalen. Oh, I'm forgetting Jalen McDaniel. What's the receiver's name? Jalen McMillan. McMillan. Yeah, yeah. Big time. Chip Long wanted him bad. Uh, it was Asa Turner, who was a California kid that they beat Notre Dame for. I mean, it wasn't just Washington kids. Kyler Gordon was a Washington kid, but they were beating mm-hmm. Notre Dame for West Coast kids, period. Right. I mean, the only Washington guy I can re- – the only guy Washington, I think – I remember Notre Dame beating Washington for of a kid that actually liked Washington because Isaiah Foskey looked at Washington, but they weren't a real serious contender, was Jordan Patello. That's the only one that I can really remember Washington being much of a player where Notre Dame actually won the battle in recent years. And you can go back to Kavari Russell in 2012, but they were the exceptions, not the rule. Imagine what Notre Dame's defense would have been like this if Kyler Gordon this year, if Kyler Gordon was playing opposite of Cam Hart, you know, because Mike Elko wanted Kyler Gordon big time. Well, not only did you beat them for Tobias Merriweather, who's a dude, but you beat them for Benjamin Morrison, who was a top corner on their board. You beat Jimmy Lake for, for Benjamin Morrison. And so Notre Dame has done what you're supposed to do when a program that's been kicking your butt is struggling. You beat them. You take advantage of them being down, and they've done that. And this is another opportunity. And it's interesting. It's it's you know he wasn't he didn't even have Washington in his final nine, which is really bizarre. But here's the thing: I'll say though, Ryan, I really like their head coach. 
Mm-hmm. And the problem that he has is he's not a name. And so until he wins, you're going to have, you're going to have be able to have some success against him. Now I sure. think once he wins, then I think that you're going to, you know, they're going to be a little bit tougher, especially for offensive players. I don't, I don't know what you think about him, but when you look at, when you look at what he did uh, in Indiana, you know, I'm talking mm-hmm. about Kalen DeBoer for those who don't know uh, what he did at Indiana is the OC, what he did at Fresno, This past season was really impressive. Uh, He got Michael Penix transferred there to play for him at Washington this year. They're gonna they're gonna get turned around quickly. So the goal is to get enough wins in the meantime that you still have that you know you have a Tobias, you have a Jalen Lamar on campus to -hmm. where you've got a better shot at beating them when they become tough again. That's that's important too. It's a it's a bit of a side thing. It doesn't have anything to do with the number one class but it does have an impact. So if you're able to get a kid like him and to your point, get two big time offensive players out of state of Washington back to back years, that's going to help you in future years. Cause Washington doesn't produce a lot of great players, but it consistently produces a good amount of players. And for whatever reason, kids from Washington have been willing to leave the state. It just hasn't been often for Notre Dame. Ohio state got a big time. Well, two big time receivers from Washington in recent years. Right. And so if Notre Dame can start having success there, that's a state that's going to out West is going to produce some, some really good players that have shown a, a, a willingness to leave if it's the right situation in the past. And so that's just another reason why Jane Lamar becomes a really important, important player for Notre Dame in so many different ways. Well, it's creating a pipeline. I mean, it, it really is. Cause you mentioned Texas and getting into Texas, it's not just about Texas for this year. It's about the next year, the year after that. I mean, the one cool thing that I like that Notre Dame's done is I like the graphic that was floating out there with the St. Louis kids, right? All the St. Louis kids on the roster. And it was, for, it was obviously intended for Samuel and Pemba's like, Oh, St. Louis, Notre Dame. Like this is the pipeline now. Right. So continuing to create those pipelines, because we talk about recruiting being such a relationship building you know, aspect to it, right? It's not just relationship building with the coaches that are going there. It's like, oh, wow, I know, I know those names. Like, I played against those guys. I played with those guys. I know them. They're from they're from the same place that I am. They're from the same state. So, creating those pipelines is also very important for for this class. And I think that Notre Dame has shown that they're touching different parts of the of the country that maybe they haven't had as much presence in in recent mm-hmm. years, which is another paramount parts of this conversation i think and, and then sort of the final piece of this ryan is summer positioning and you touched on this at the very beginning the odds of cardinal tate making a decision in april are slim the odds of Jaden osbury making a commitment in april are slim to any anyone we're not just talking about notre dame anyone the odds of caleb downs making a commitment in april are slim and if he does make a commitment it's not going to be notre dame uh Maybe Samuel and Pemba does, right? That's another big one out there, you know? And so as we kind of get into April and why April's a big month, I guess we should, before we move on to to summer positioning, I mean, there's some other really important guys that I failed to talk about that are important. And Jason Moore is a big one. And we talked a lot about the offensive guys, but defensively, Jason Moore to me is going to determine whether or not Notre Dame has a really good defensive line class or an elite defensive line class. Because, he gives them a def- definite interior player to, you know, but he's also like a hybrid enough to where if Brennan Vernon outgrows big end, I could see Jason Moore being that guy. 
right? Uh, or if Tyson Ford's that guy, then I could see Brendan Vernon and Jason Moore if Brendan Vernon keeps growing, but being the inside guy. So the point is, you need that third big time player. And, you know, Brendan Vernon's a top 50 recruit. Keon's a five star. Jason Moore's a top 50 recruit, too. And it's been a minute since Notre Dame has landed that many. I mean, it's been since 2011 when they signed Aaron Lynch, Stefan Tua, and Nishak Williams in the same class and signed me up for another class that has players as good as Aaron Lynch and Stefan Tua and Nishak Williams in the class. Hopefully, those guys have a little bit better attitudes than two of those three guys. But, uh, you know, talent wise, and I think they do, but talent wise, I mean, that's a, you know, about getting long. I mean, when Brendan Vernon would then be your shortest lack in, guy that lacks the the most length and he's six five you know with pretty long arms so jason moore's another one and his situation is interesting ryan so he's in a unique situation where he's been wanting to come back and i'll, ha- I'll allow you to give clarity to this he's yep. been wanting to come back to notre dame for a while but there's understandable reasons why he hasn't been able to make the trip back yeah he's been wanting to come back in april i, I think it probably would have happened already but of course, yes, yeah, yeah. honestly, yeah, yeah, it would have happened a lot sooner than when it's going to happen just because the, the whole situation. So basically, Jason's brother, Justin, is a basketball player for the University of Villanova. They made a deep run into into the playoffs. Obviously, they made it to the final four. Justin, unfortunately, suffered an injury yeah. during the tournament. That it's was the a Sweet 16 game. Right? I, it, may, it may have been the Sweet 16 game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he, he suffered a, a, a bad injury. And I talked to the mom of both of them, and she just basically said, like, we're trying to figure out travel plans, but we're doing, you know, it's the NCAA tournament. I need to be there for Justin. It's like, yeah, it makes total sense. I completely get that. And then it got delayed again when Justin gets gets injured because he has to have surgery now, right? So obviously the family needs to be around to help him in, in, in that instance as well. So it's been delayed a little bit, but I am told by the family that, Jason really likes Notre Dame, likes him a ton. He really, really does like Notre Dame. He wants to get back and he especially wants to see a practice. Like he wants to see the team in person. He wants to see them underneath coach, coach Freeman, because he hasn't seen that in person yet. And coach Washington, of course. Yeah. He hasn't seen the new staff in place, you know, since the last time he he came. So he wants to see how everything's moving, the energy around the program, all that good stuff. So I feel good about where they are with Jason Moore. I feel like some people are going to be like, oh, it's, it's a bad sign that he hasn't been back. But there is context to why he has not been able to make that trip back. So just, I think, just right. consider that context of it. Right. And that's the unfortunate thing is the 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 knee injury with the brother and the fact that that's what pushed it back is you, you hate that, 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 that's, that they're going through that, you know, but it's just one of those things where it's like, look, it's just, it can reaffirm to you that like, you need to make sure whatever decision you make, the game can be taken away from you like that. And, and, you know, and, and uh, it's unfortunate, but that explains why now I I'm hoping that he can get back the week before the blue gold game would be my, would be my hope. Uh, Because I, I do believe from talking to different people that Jason does not want his recruitment to drag on a whole lot longer, his recruitment to drag on a lot longer. You've gotten that impression as well from talking to him and his mom that I think he'd like for this to be done sooner rather than later, but he's also a smart kid and having an older brother that's gone through this for a different sport, but similar, you know, similar process, you know, you want to make sure that you, 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 you want to make sure that you make the right decision for the right reasons at the right time. But also I don't think Jason really, he doesn't talk to the media. He doesn't do a whole lot of, I don't think he really is one of those kids that enjoys 
you know, the recruiting process. I think he wants to find the right school wherever it is and make his decision and be done with it. And I kind of like guys like that, but guys like that tend to like Notre Dame a lot because they're not necessarily the spotlight. He's not a, it's not that he's afraid of the spotlight. He just doesn't, he doesn't care about it. He doesn't chase it. I think he just wants to go out and do do his thing and put into work and play and, 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 be a football player as opposed to a guy that's on social media all the time. And mm-hmm. you know, a guy that loves seeing his name in print and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I think he did an interview with another network that it was spun in a way that I don't think he wanted it spun. And since then, I don't think we've heard a word from him like publicly really. No. And I, I kind of respect that. Uh, Cause it's, it's in this day and age, you don't find a ton of that from guys who are top 50 national recruits. Right. And, and I kind of dig it. Yeah, it's pretty consistent across the board with with some of the guys Notre Dame's targeting or has commitments from. I mean, like Brendan Vernon doesn't like the media attention, right? Like at mm-hmm. all. Charles Jagasaw is not that guy either. Like he likes to be kind of off the grid as well. Even Dante Moore for a five-star quarterback, yes. like he doesn't talk oh, yes. much to media or do any of that type of stuff either. So I think it's a pretty consistent, like you said, it's, it's across the board that those kids tend to really like Notre Dame. And I agree that Jason is a very important player in this class, not only for just the fact that like he's a really good football player and he could play a couple different positions potentially. Also, the part that we talked about is getting into that Maryland, you know, the DMV side of, you know, the the large portion of DMV anyway. Yeah, Yeah. getting into those Catholic schools. Because like for the longest time, I was always like, because the math is not far from me. It's only a couple hours, you know, south or whatever. I'm always like, why does Notre Dame never get anybody from the math of Catholic? Like it seems like an easy transition i talked to when i talked to um jeremiah wusu koromoa's younger brother uh uh uh, uh, sorry a wusu botang yes when i spoke to him he said like yeah i mean like obviously i know a lot about notre dame but he's like it'd be such an easy transition going from the math of catholic to notre dame like all the same values and just kind of like it just makes total sense obviously from the you know, from the side of the actual school dynamics. So, right. yeah, I, I think you, it's very important. If you think of all the great defensive linemen that have come through that area, just that the Catholic schools and those areas in the last six, seven years, I mean, Terrell Hall, Terrell Lewis, whichever one it is now, I mean, Chase Young. I mean, it's just like Bama's gone up there. Ohio State goes there. And Notre Dame's got some kids from there. I mean, you know, you got you got DJ Brown. Uh, Cam Hart was obviously a big one from that area. Sam Muster. So they've got some kids, but you just think that it would be a regular thing. Sure. And and I think that, you know, I if you can – I think the timing of, of Cam Hart wrapping up his career and Jason Moore maybe making that decision to transition could be something that could really help Notre Dame. If Cam Moore has – if Cam Hart has the kind of finish to his career that we think he can have, then all of a sudden, and then you get it. Oh wow, they also got you know him from Damatha and all that. Then all of a sudden, and there's some other kids in the region they're going after. It's not like he's the only guy. They want Devin Houston, yep. who's a Maryland kid, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so there's a there's a lot of kids in the class from that DC Maryland area that that Notre Dame really wants. And if they're able to get some of those guys, boy, if that could open up a pipeline for for Notre Dame down the road, that I mean, you're talking about that. Those are impact. They don't produce a ton of guys. But the guys they tend to produce are impact players, are dudes, yeah, yeah. And it, and and their touch is even extending a little further down into the Carolinas. Like Notre right. Dame has several several right. uh, prospects, like um, Monroe Freeling, obviously, is a South Carolina kid. 
Sullivan Absher is a North Carolina kid. So Sam there's Pendleton, North Sam Carolina. Pendleton. Right. Yep. And, and those are areas Notre Dame's even had more success. If Notre Dame can have the success in Maryland and D.C. that they've had in, in North Carolina in the last six, seven years, oh, my gosh. I mean, the freakiest athlete in the entire country, and I don't think it's close, is a oh, Maryland Harbor. kid. Yeah, Harbor. he's a Maryland kid, Nicholas yeah. Harbor. Yeah. Uh, he's a 6'5", 230-pound kid who just ran a 10'3". And, and, and it's and it's not 10-3 like, oh, we're reporting. No, that was like, I mean, a state track meet. I mean, it, it's absurd, this, this stuff. So that's what Maryland's producing. I mean, it's producing big-time players. And again, it's not 30 of them, but pound for pound, so to speak, boy, it's produces some guys. Virginia, I mean, some of the best athletes that Notre Dame has landed in the last 10 years are Virginia kids. I mean, C.J. Procise and Chris Tyree alone are two of the most explosive athletes that Notre Dame has landed in the last 10 years. And so that region is important. And again, it goes back to the whole theme of the more you get big-time players, from, and it's not just any player, but big-time players. Guys that when you land that kid, other people in that region are like, whoa, that guy's going to Notre Dame? Oh, wow, right? Because it's different than landing Cam Hart. Cam Hart wasn't considered a big-time player, even though, you know, Ryan, I think if you remember, I had him ranked as a four-star kid. I loved Cam Hart as a receiver. But Jason Moore is that guy that's – he's that big name, and it just is another one. I mean, you he's a he's – a, I mean, getting him, Samuel and Pemba, uh, Ronan Hannafin, that's – I mean, it's, it's interesting. Somebody asked me this. Like, do you think Notre Dame not taking Ronan Hannafin is going to hurt them down the road? I said, like, wait a minute, timeout. What are you talking about? Notre Dame never didn't take Ronan Hannafin. Like, I want to reiterate that, Ryan. They never said, Ronan, don't come. He had expressed desire to, hey, I love Notre Dame. Everybody thinks it's the place he wants to go, but he also said, I want to go through the process. And you know what? Good for you. And so if they are able to still keep him as in the class, and again, it, they're going to have to close on him because his offer list has changed. If they can change Ronan, or if they can get still get Ronan Hannafin, it's going to end up being the best thing to ever happen to Notre Dame that they didn't take him when he visited the first time. Because since he left Notre Dame that that last time, he has gotten offers from Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, and I think today it was Oklahoma, or, yeah. and, and then USC. So this kid now is not just some random private school kid from Massachusetts. This is three-star that nobody's ever heard of. You now beat Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and USC for him. I think I think Alabama offered him as a wide receiver as right. well. Just kind of put that out there. I bet you twenty dollars, twenty dollars that he's that of those five schools he's been offered by at least those schools by at least two different positions. Sure, yeah. And I think I think he wants to play receiver, and Notre Dame has no problem with that. By the way, none. So he's another one, Ryan. That even though he doesn't he doesn't come with the recruiting ranking standpoint, the offers he's getting, people are taking notice of that kid believe me yeah and it's just another one so like those are to me like of all the guys that we mentioned i could see all of them making a decision in april dante moore jade lamar braylon james charles jagasaw um jason moore and ronan hannafin i think samuel and pemba's a guy that i don't know if he will or not the other two is the other the last part of this april aspect of it is the offensive line class is going to largely be determined by how you by your success in April. Not just mm-hmm. Charles Jagasaw, but you're going to have Monroe Freeling, Austin Saraveld, 
Sam Pendleton, and Sullivan Absher all on campus in the month of April. Now, there's some other kids that Notre Dame wants to get on campus down the road, Samson Okanlola, Elijah Page, but they're going to have to get at least one of those guys, if not two, to really have the kind of class I think they need. And in if we're being honest, some of those guys are not going to have the same impact in this class that others would, if we're being honest. I don't think Sam sure. Pendleton, no matter what we may think of him a player, moves the needle the, the way that a Jagasaw and a Monroe Freeling does, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. So I think they need at least one of those guys along with an Austin Saraveld, a Sam Pendleton, or a Sullivan Absher, right? Like yeah. you need at least, you know – I mean, obviously, ideally, you get Jagason Freeling. I think is the ideal. That's, I think that's Notre Dame's like two of the top three players they want are those two guys. And obviously, Okanlola be the other. They're more realistic than Okanlola. If you can get one of those two guys or both, and again, I don't, I don't see Monroe Freeling deciding in April. He to me is more of a summer positioning situation. But I think the other three kids, Absher, Saraveld, and Pendleton, especially Absher and Pendleton. They're in they're in decision making mode essentially. Like these visits are going to determine where they go. There's a lot of buzz about Freeling and Absher to Clemson, which is fine. Uh, I mean, Clemson's a final three team for Absher. They're a final two team or top two team for Freeling. That's not surprising. But those are also pre Notre Dame visit, right? Now they both were on campus in January, but they've been on campus at Clemson recently. How the visit goes for the blue gold game with them is going to determine whether or not Notre Dame can get them or not. And that's why I say why April is important. It's not always about getting a player in April, Ryan. Sometimes it's about you're not going to be able to get him when he does commit if you don't crush the visit. And I think for Absher and Freeling, if they don't knock that completely out of the park, then it gets tougher in my view. And Notre Dame people I talk to have been very high on their odds for getting Absher. You've never been quite as sold that Notre Dame was the team to beat rapture and that and so it even adds more to the visit has to go really well for notre dame to be able to close on on both of those kids and they're both really good yeah no they are both really good i i've i have always been on the standpoint that i think that sullivan absher is going to be harder to get out of the carolinas than i think monroe freeling is i it's just having conversations with them just talking points and it's it's more of a just a pulse on the conversation than them straight out saying like yeah it's gonna be tough to get me out of here type of conversation I have felt for a long time, Brian, that they were in a good position for Monroe Freeling. I, I still believe that they are in a good position for Monroe Freeling. Need to close that one, obviously, because Clemson's going to be a tough one because Clemson is is in his in his backyard. He's in the state of South Carolina. So it's not going to be an easy one by any means. But I think that Monroe Freeling is a really big piece to this class. Because we can talk about Samson Okololo all we want. I, it's just it's not where it needs to be right now for right. me to feel positive about it. It just isn't. I, but I think Monroe Freeling is incredibly important because I think Jagasaw can play offensive tackle. I think he can play guard. But for me, he's the only realistic option right now that I can say that might be the future left tackle, mm-hmm. which is obviously the most important position on the right. offensive line. To me, Jagasaw, in my opinion, has the athletic ability once he gets coached to be a left tackle. But I would make the argument with him that I made about Blake Fisher. A little different because he's not Blake Fisher. But the thing I said about Blake Fisher is I think Blake Fisher can be great anywhere. It's about finding out what best fits his demeanor. And that's why I love Blake Fisher at right tackle. Cause we're starting to see Blake play with a little bit more attitude. He's getting some chippiness to him because I think he's kind of got that. I want to destroy you mentality. 
And just for me personally, Ryan, I like that guy at left ta- right tackle. Now I'd love it if I had both of those guys, but you know, give me just a elite, never give up a pressure guy at left tackle. If I don't care if he's dominant as a run block or not at right tackle. I want a guy that's a dominant physical player. And that's why I say for me, Jagasaw is a right tackle guy that could potentially with the youth of the, with the talent Notre Dame does have a tackle could eventually say, man, this, this kid's too good of a player not to get on the field. And he could also be a great guard. A lot of things I say about, about Blake Fisher, the, the athleticism, the physicality, the demeanor fits for Jagasaw and he's a, a elite wrestler. And, you know, so he's going to have the hand. So once he gets coached, he has a chance to be special, but you know, the thing too, about this whole, summer positioning thing, Ryan, is if you can have success with Jagasaw, Freeling, and then one of Absher, Saraveld, and Pendleton, then all of a sudden your O-line class is set. You can send, you can put now all your attention on Samson Okanola. But now you have a class to go with him because most of, I don't know if I've ever met an offensive lineman that Notre Dame recruited or really any offensive lineman that didn't look at what else you were getting on his on the line with him. Not so much, okay, are you getting another guy to compete with me at my position, but more so like, hey, I can't be the only dude, right? Like they want to be part of a, a line class. If you're able to get some of those guys, then all of a sudden it makes it a little easier for you to, to if you still want to go for, you know, Samson Okanola, to say, hey, look, but look, if depending on who you get, you may say, hey, look, we love Samson Okanola, but we're good. You know, we got our four and we're going to now focus on the 2024 class. I mean, they, they could make that decision too. So it's going to be interesting, but I think April is going to be a big, big month for the offensive line recruiting at this point in time, Ryan. Summer positioning aspect of it, Ryan, it's just about, I, I look at Samson Okanlola, I look at Cardinal Tate, I look at Jay Nasbury as the most important guys to where April is going to be important to you really knocking it out of the park with them. Jaden Asbury has not responded to either of us. I don't believe about whether he is going to come back for the blue gold game. So we don't know if he is or isn't. He had said to you, however, that he was going to try. Yeah. If you're able to get him back for the blue gold game, that's huge. If you're able to convince Cardinal Tate to come back again in April, that's going to be huge. And then of course, just keep on recruiting Samson, uh, uh, Samuel and Penna, because those are three guys that to get that number one class, you need more top 50 players, especially five stars. Mm-hmm. There's two five stars in that group of three and a top, another top 50 player that we just mentioned. And, you know, obviously in Pemba is a five star Cardinal Tate's a five star and then Jaden Asbury is a top 50 player. You need more of those guys to have a number one ranked class. For sure. And you've and Notre Dame's got a legitimate chance with all those guys, all of them, but they could also lose all of them. They could also go over three in that group. And yep. so April is key to positioning yourself to close in the summer. And that's the, that's why April is important with those type of players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause then obviously when you go into, you know, coming out of this, going into the summer, talking about officials, obviously starting and, and, you know, getting a little bit more of kind of just the context of everything moving forward into when the season starts. So it is a big momentum shift. And I feel like I keep talking about momentum because there's mm-hmm. just so much momentum on Notre Dame size, you can't waste these periods of momentum. If you would have asked me three, four weeks ago, what was Notre Dame's chances of getting Jaden Osbury? I probably would have said zero, like maybe 5%, like a very low percentage. 
I feel so much better about where that is trending right now, but it can't stop right there to feeling pretty solid about it, right? Like it needs to go into another gear where like now you are maybe a favorite here. You're at least mm-hmm. in the top two entering the official visit kind of schedule working forward. So it's a big, big chance for guys like Osbury and Pemba. You need to close the door on some of these guys. And you need to just more than anything, you need to carry this momentum going into the summer and fall. Right. You know, when you look at this deal, Ryan, we had this fun conversation the other day, and I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here before we get to, uh, we get to the questions. Uh, Do you still have to take that? Do you still have to step out at that period that we talked about before? Yeah, I might have to in a couple minutes. I'll let you know though. Uh, We'll, we'll just kind of dive into questions at that point in time, but Mm -hmm. we, we have gone, we have thrown out different numbers in regards to the the over-under number for April for public commitments. Yeah. Because what we didn't talk about was any 2024 kids, right? And and I don't know if they're going to get any 2024 kids in April. It's just, it's it's too early to tell that, really. And usually kids will pop that early. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. But it's, it was started at two and a half. And I raised the bar a little bit in, in, on the message board to five and a half. Where would you place it, like as far as just creating a good betting number, mm-hmm. where would you place it in regards to what the over number should be? And are you taking the over? And we're not going to make predictions on it right now because people will take that as they did in the message board. Like, oh, he knows <laughs> those guys are coming. And, no, that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what would you set the number at for public commitments for the month of April? The kids that make a decision in April, not a kid that visits in April and decides in May. But kids that, that commit in the month of April, what would you what would your number be? I think your number was what five and a half. Five and a half is, is the betting number. number. I you know two and a half is way too low. I think you can make a case that five and a half is too high. Yeah. I, I probably I probably would set the over under at four and a half, mm-hmm. go down a little bit. Cause I mean, <clears throat> if you're predicting the over there for five and a half, you're saying at least six guys in one month. Like that is a massive number. So I'd probably say four and a half. I would go over on four and a half. And honestly, on the in your in your in your uh, post on the message board, I also said over and five and a half. I think it's very possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm not overly critical of it being five and a half, but I would maybe just lower it a tad to four mm-hmm. and a half to be maybe a, just a little a more reasonable. Ex- well, exactly. I want to win money, right? right? Like I don't want to just throw my money away. So yeah, right. for sure. I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> what do you think the odds are that it's lower than that? I I am. I'm like 70% positive that it's going to be more than four and a half. Okay. So like 30%, a pretty low percentage. I think if it was going to be lower than that, here's the interesting thing. There's a chance Notre Dame could land three top 100 players, including a five-star, in the month of March. But if it's only three, that there will be some people that will consider dis- the disappointment. And my initial reaction to that is to kind of like be frustrated by it. But like the more I thought about it, I don't know if I'd say I'd be frustrated by it, but I could understand why people would be more willing to kind of say, boy, that's a disappointment that they didn't get more guys is, is because I, I do think, I do think they, cause I'm looking at it mm-hmm. based on who you and I kind of have a good feeling is going to commit in, in April. If they, if they go less than four, that's 
probably not good for Notre Dame in regards to some of the kids that we think they're going to get. And it also means they close. Because it's dragging out. Right. Right. So that's what's going to make it a a little bit interesting. But again, it just kind of adds to the idea of why this month is so important. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, it, it may seem it may seem premature to be talking about this in April. But mm-hmm. look, guys, this is the direction that recruiting is going. And, and especially for Notre Dame, because Notre Dame won't have the clothes that other programs are going to have, right? Like to be number one, you got to get so far ahead of Bama. Like, do you remember a couple years ago when Ohio State had that start and everybody's like, no one's going to catch Ohio State? Yeah, Georgia did. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just like and they lost some guys, but it's really about just getting so far ahead now that it's almost impossible for those teams to catch you. And I think the other part of it too, is the guys that we're talking about are guys that if you get Jaden Osbury, Samuel Pemba, Dante Moore, Braylon James, uh, I'm just trying to kind of go through some names we talked about on, on the show today. If you get them, it also means they're not going to those schools. Monroe Freeling. It means if you get him, it means Clemson isn't. If you get Cardinal Tate, it means Ohio State isn't. If you get keep Keon Keeley, it means Alabama's not getting them. If if you get Samuel and Pemba, it means you know Bama's not or Florida. I mean, so the list kind of just goes on and on and on. And that's the reason some of these guys are so important. And that's why, we, but that's also why we say, Ryan, is I'm going to wrap this up this way before we go into questions. Mm-hmm. The biggest, that's the biggest difference between this class and past classes is so many of these kids that Notre Dame is going after that we've talked about are kids at Ohio State, Bama, Clemson, Georgia, USC, Oklahoma, Texas are all after. Right. This isn't like some kid that they found early that, that, became a highly ranked guy down the road. These are guys that are big time recruits now that those big time schools want now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all, that's what makes us unique. But the one thing we got to learn about this staff is how well it closes. Cause if we're being honest, this staff as it's constituted now has landed one commitment. Sure. And that's Preston's enter. As excited as we are about Chancey Stuckey, he hasn't landed anybody yet, right? There's no public commitments at receiver yet. Same with Al Washington. Same with Harry Heastan, right? Same with Dylan McCullough. And same with Al Golden. So we like what we're hearing. But again, that just is kind of, to me, why April's so important. Because at some point in time, these guys have to say, I'm on the board, right? I'm on the board. Let's get Mm -hmm. this thing going. Right. Uh, because the other practical part of that too, Ryan, is when you start filling up a class, you now have the ability to kind of turn the screws a little tighter on some of the other kids that you want that want to enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. And you can enjoy the process all you want, but here's the reality. We need three receivers and we can get that kid right now. So, you know, do you want to be here? Now that doesn't work with a Cardinal tape, right? Cause Cardinal would be like, all right, cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that doesn't work with Sam. It's more of, some of the the other guys, right? Like if you re- if you really want to be here, we need to know, right? Like, hey, Samuel and Pemba, we know you want to enjoy the process, but like everything I heard, I talked to a source today. Another person today was like, you know, and, and it have every time I talk to somebody that's ever spent time, that man, Samuel and Pemba loves Notre Dame. You know, um, 
but you know, not willing to, not willing to make pull the trigger at some point in time. We're like, hey, look, you know, we gotta we gotta go somewhere else, right? So that's going to be another interesting part of this, right? As you start to build more commitments, it gives you the ability to turn to some of those offensive linemen. Maybe you want to say, hey, man, you better get up here pretty quickly if you want to be a part of this thing, right? And I think that's also something that adds to it. So anything else to to kind of add before we jump into these questions, Ryan? No, I'm ready for questions. I'll say also I do not need to leave anymore, okay. so we're good. Perfect, 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 perfect. Rob Osgood starts things off here with um, our question and answer session today. And Rob says, hey, folks, during the Blue and Gold game, are alumni allowed to talk to recruits? I know the staff is doing great with bringing in alumni. I am excited to see this staff is doing compared to the past. They're allowed to talk to them like while they're on campus. Yes. Yeah, it, there's certain rules and restrictions about the contact they can have with them away from campus. But, um, yes, they're allowed to talk to them on, on campus. Here's a good one that I wanted to bring up, Ryan. This is a good – I like these kind of questions. Jordan Schreiber says, who are some of the prospects that you feel Notre Dame can pull off as upsets, upsets but you can't use Cardinal Tate? Okay. I, I mean, I, I guess Jaden Osbury would be the first mm-hmm. one that pops into my head, right? Like, I didn't think that they were in good position at all for Jaden Osbury for a little bit there, and I guess that would be a little bit of an upset. I'll throw one out there. I don't know if I would say a good chance, but I feel that it's trending in a – better direction than I thought it would at one point is uh, Jaden Greathouse out of Westlake in Texas. I feel that they are, it's definitely going into a better direction because I mean, when they initially offered him and started making the push for him, I just didn't think that it was most likely that he was going to leave the state of Texas, but I think that that's just more possible now than it was. I'd say Jane Lamar is a little bit of an upset to a degree. If Notre Dame's able to land him, he's a guy that I think, when when Coach Taylor was here, he had a great relationship with him, and this is the reason I say this is that when Coach Taylor left, I don't. It, it's not a fractured relationship, but it was a transitional period where it was like, you know, how serious are they going to get back in with Jaden? Um, how is Jaden going to kind of react to a new coach? You know, so I feel like it's a little bit of an upset in that regard. But I would say Osbury, Greathouse are the two guys that really pop into my head quickly. Other than that, I feel like all the guys we've talked about in their names kind of been in a good position for a little bit. So I don't know who else would really constitute as a upset type. I'm trying to think of guys that they're maybe in a good place now. I think Monroe Freeling would be a bit of an upset if they get him. Nope. I've been telling you that one for months, no, no, sir. No, <laughs> I'm just no, no not that. Not from that standpoint. But I think if we would have gone back to the beginning of this process, and if I would have told mm-hmm. you they're going to get a Monroe Freeling out of South Carolina before you ever talk to him. Sure. Before any of that stuff, if we'd have talked back in December and I said, hey, watch Monroe Freeling's film. Ah, this kid's really good. Uh, he's from South Carolina. Clemson wants him. Yeah, Notre Dame's going to get that guy. I think you probably would have had some skepticism on that, right? So that's kind of – it's kind of like the Jaden Lamar thing, right? Like I think it's not an upset in regards to where they stand now, but I think it might have been five months ago when we looked at Braylon James is, would be that way. Oh, for sure. Right, when this whole thing started, like when I, I might have even said in the show, in this show, I think I, if I remember correctly, I believe Braylon James' name was brought up once in January. And I was like, he coming Notre Dame. <laughs> I think that actually might. It, I've said it before. I don't know if it was on a show or in a personal conversation, but I think it was on a show, Ryan. Mm-hmm. And and you know, because again, Texas's backyard. Texas wanted him, big time player, top hundred guy, tons of talent. I'm like the Notre Dame's not going to get that guy. Right. And then now, bam, you look at it, they're in a great position for him. So he'd be one that I consider an upset. 
But looking at guys that I think are would be upsets based on where Notre Dame stands right now, I think would make for a more interesting conversation. And in that regard, I think Jaden Greathouse would be one because I don't think Notre Dame is his leader right now. I think Texas is. Sure. I think Deuce Robinson would be one for me because right now Notre Dame's not really in the game. You know, he still so, talks to them, but they're not really in the game, right, Ryan? And that would, you, no. you talked to him recently. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't get a great. I didn't get a great feeling. I think somebody put into the chat, which was a good one, was Micah Tease would be obviously an upset yes. getting him out of Oklahoma. That's yes, a good one. That would that would be one. That would be one. Jaden Osbury, you mentioned, would be one. And the biggest one for me that that I wish, I wish, I hope that someday I get comfortable enough to throw Caleb Downs into this conversation. Same here, man. <laughs> But I'm not there yet because that's the one people keep asking about. Like that would be the ultimate upset that mm-hmm. that that could have. Yeah, but that would be the big one for me. So, someone said Rodney Gallagher. I don't consider that an upset because I because I don't think he has a leader. Like he just doesn't have you a see, leader at the moment. Here's why they think that because of the way that it's, the recruiting services are with oh Penn State's going to get hard to beat. I, I never bought that, Ryan. You and I never bought that because he wasn't really engaged in the recruiting process. Right. And the other thing is that if he's going to go to a school like that, I mean, I think West Virginia would be a better option from where he lives. Morgantown, and he's been to – he's camped at West Virginia. Morgantown's a, a much closer to him than than Penn State is. But I just don't uh, – I don't view that one as, as, as an upset because there was no – there was no hierarchy to me. For him, and that's the key. It's the, it's the, was there a hierarchy in place? Did you have a doubt? Like, not we always felt that if Notre Dame staff would get their heads out of their you know what's and go after this kid, they'd have a good shot. That's what we always felt. Mm-hmm. Just you know, the previous staff didn't get their heads out of their you know what's, which is why they're employed other places now. <laughs> it's fair. Uh, Jordan says, Do you think Harry Heastan should be in, uh, getting involved majorly, uh, g- be getting majorly involved with running back recruiting so you can describe the line they'll be running behind? No. I mean, that's a conversation you have as a an addition. Hey, Coach Heastan, can you call this kid and talk to him? But majorly involved, no. It's, it's, it's an asset to have him talk to a kid occasionally and to m- meet with a kid while he's on campus. But no, it's got to be the running back coach in the OC, in my opinion. What say you, Ryan? Well, I, I think that Notre Dame has taken the standpoint that there is a collaborative approach to recruiting, but I don't think that it's a necessity for the this for this exact question for he for Coach Eastan to explain the the blocking schemes that they'll be walk, walk, uh, working behind. Like I don't think that's why Coach Eastan would have to reach out to a recruit. I agree that Coach Eastan should be involved in all their positions. I mean, running back makes total sense because obviously the the relationship between running backs and offensive linemen makes a ton of sense for, for why he would be involved in the recruitment slightly, but I don't necessarily think that he needs to do it from the schematical perspective. That could be something that you talk about, but I don't think it's like, Oh man, he said he needs to get in there because he needs to talk schematics with the running backs. I don't necessarily agree with that portion of it. Here's a good one from John a one. When IB did the two-year look at Notre Dame classes, both D-end and D-line were short on numbers. What's the right answer for defensive line recruiting numbers in 23? John, this is a good one. So we talked about this a little bit in a recent show, and right now the number's four. And I think Notre Dame is in a position where they want to get a guy at all four. They want to get a guy that projects at Viper. That's Keon Keeley. They want to get you know a couple guys that project as big end D- three tech hybrids, which is Brennan Vernon and Jason Moore. And then they'd like to get a nose tackle, right? Nose guard. 
that's the thing that makes this interesting because like Bubakar Traore wants to come. Uh, he likes Notre Dame, wants to come, but he likes Notre Dame a lot. And, and whenever he visits, I think Notre Dame would have a very good shot with him. But if you got him and Jason Moore, I think there's concern from the staff about who of that group of four would be the nose guard. And I think that's the concern. And so then you get into a situation of, okay, well, if you get Jason Moore and you want to have a pure nose guard and you don't think those any of those other guys can be a nose guard, then can you take Bubakar as your four? So if the number stays at four, that's the target number now, then it, it's going to get a little interesting. But I do know that, as we've said before, there are people at Notre Dame pushing to take five. And personally, I would take five. I think the fact that you had to take a grad transfer to help out your current depth chart is for me why I would go for five. But and, and I'm a believer, Ryan, that if you're in a position where you can load up, you load up. And when I mean can load up, I'm not talking about just take as many guys as you can. But I think five in this class would be the number that makes the defensive line moving forward the healthiest because there's such really good players in this class. I mean, you're talking about if 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 Devin Houston and Bubakar and Jason Moore all wanted to come to Notre Dame. You're talking about Devin Houston as a top 180 player is your lowest rank guy. And would for me, I don't think he he wouldn't grade out as the lowest guy for me. I'd probably put Bubakar at the bottom of that list because he's so raw. He'd probably be my five of that five. I don't know what you think about that, Ryan. He'd be five of my five. Uh it would be Keon Keeley, Jason Moore, Brennan Vernon, Devin Houston, and Bubakar would be how I rank them. But if I was then going to talk about uh, uh, if I was then going to talk about upside, then Bubakar goes up my list a little bit. That's fair. So yeah, um, no no question no question about it. So uh, yeah. by the way, Alex Birchmeyer didn't is not from the state of Pennsylvania. By the way, uh, he is from Virginia. So let's be accurate with those those comments. So. Um, yeah, can't and, can't can't insult the state of Virginia like that, right, Brian? Seriously, it was blasphemy. <laughs> uh, so he is not the best from Pennsylvania. They do not get to take the players from Virginia. But I'm sorry, with all due respect, it depends on which part of Pittsburgh are you from. If mm-hmm. you're from the eastern part of the state, then I'd be a little bit more worried. He's a Western PA kid. Notre Dame consistently beats Western PA Penn State for Western PA kids consistently. So I'm not as concerned by it. And you you could give me a kid here and there, but with all due respect, Notre Dame and Penn State haven't exactly battled for a lot of kids from the state of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. especially this staff, right? So, I mean, you know, let yeah, whatever. Uh, so, Ryan, I, I basically I, – I, the point I made was four's the number now. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go to five. Yeah. If you get Jason Moore, it, it makes the fourth a little intriguing. Mm-hmm. on who's the nose which is another reason why I'd go I'd go for 5. I think I would go for 5 too because you're projecting a lot to who the interior players are right now, right? Cuz you have I mean Keon Kelly is a true viper, maybe he could be a strong side end down the road depending on de- on physical development. Brendan Vernon is a strong side end that maybe could be a three tech down the line. Jason Moore's the same, he's a strong side end probably initially and then maybe he's a three tech so there's projection you're thinking one at least you're thinking one of those guys is going to end up on the interior but we'll see what the what the growth is like for both of them right so that is the conversation for the top three of the targets and then 
after that, I mean, Devin Houston's more of a true nose, but I mean, even with him, I mean, still a little absence of size, right? So you're projecting a Bubakar Traore is a 255 pounds defensive lineman right now. Is he going to be a nose down the line as well? So Notre Dame doesn't really have a ton of weight in the class. Like they have size because they have developmental potential to add a ton of weight, but they're not recruiting just like true interior players. They're recruiting a lot of hybrid players. So I would push it to five just because you're projecting so much development with your guys. I would just be a little more, I would be a little more settled on taking numbers and letting those numbers shake out. If that makes sense. We had a super chat here from, uh, I love this one. Let me find from Alex Udell. Just here to say, I'm not going to ask about Dante Moore, but you know what? You joined the right show, Alex, because <laughs> we talked a lot about Dante Moore. I wanted to get to, uh, well, I'm going to jump down here for one because I wanted to get to this. This is from Stonador. I think I'm saying that correctly. He said, it's April 7th. Should we really expect that much to happen over the next three three or so weeks? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you should. I mean, that, that's the reason we're having the conversation today If is because we expect it. I mean, I, I think if anything, people would, one of the things you could say about us is I think we're pretty reasonable. I don't think we have silly expectations and, and, you know, and if, if we are reaching, we'll say it, you know, and if I, if I, I think Notre Dame commit get, getting Caleb Downs would be a humongous upset that I don't see happening right now. You know, like we don't think Notre Dame right now is a major player for Samson Okanola, like as much as I'd love to say it. But yeah, I mean, based on what we know and who we think will make decisions in April or who is thinking about making a decision in April that we know of, and this isn't a situation where like, we're not giving you part of the reason we're having this. So, 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 so Stoner to your question, if our stance was, if all these kids come to the blue gold game, then I think X could happen. That would be a bit foolish to think it was all going to be because of the April 23rd blue gold game. We are looking at the blue gold game as a sort of a conclusion of the month of April falling action, rolling action. It's we expect things to happen beforehand. And it's not always, as we've also made clear, I want to make sure people understand this. It's not just about getting commitments from guys in April. You're going to have all these kids on campus. So Dante Moore was on campus at the end of March. He's sort of in decision-making mode. Charles Jagasaw is going to be on campus in March. Monroe Freeling, uh, uh, Sullivan Absher, Austin Saraveld was on campus in March. Sam Pendleton's going to be on campus in March. So five of your seven linemen that you're really pushing for right now will be on campus in April. It's As we've said also, it's not just about landing them in April. It's about putting yourself in position to land them because of what happens in April, right? So we we said earlier, like, and I hope I said it correctly. And if I and if I didn't say this, then I misspoke. And and please forgive me. I would be shocked if Monroe Freeling made a decision in April. Like shocked. I don't see it happening based on what where he is right now. Now, could a visit on April twenty third change things? Sure, but that's not my prediction. Same mm-hmm. thing with. Caleb Downs is visiting for the April 23rd blue gold game. Jaden Osbury was on campus in March, right? Like some of these guys are, you're hoping that these visits in March and April position you for down the road success. But we also know of several players that either are going to come in. Braylon James is committing April 19th somewhere, right? So that's going to happen. 
we believe there's a couple other kids that will that we believe are going to make decisions in April. Some mm-hmm. we feel good about Notre Dame. Some, you know, we'll see. I'm not so quite so quite so sure. So, yeah, we expect a lot this happen. But I want to make sure people understand we're not talking about Notre Dame needing to get nine commitments in April for this to be a successful month. They could only get three this month, and it's going to be considered a disappointment. But practically speaking, as long as they've positioned themselves well with those kids that don't commit, that's important. Positioning and momentum is important in this business because if you're always trailing other schools for a kid, it always makes it harder for you to be in a position. And here's more importantly, right? If you're trailing for all your top prospects, that means you have to put in even more work and it's hard to put in that much work for that many kids. It just is. And Mm -hmm. so all of these things factor together. So I just wanted to make sure that we're, that people understand we are not at saying Notre Dame's going to get 15 commitments in the next three weeks. It's not what we're saying. I do think it's reasonable to expect around five. That's why we kind of had the discussion about the over under based on who we know is going to commit and who may also commit. Is that a fair representation of, of where we're coming from, Ryan? Yeah, no, it is. And, and uh, Stonador, I would say this. If I have not earned my paycheck yet, I certainly will over the next three weeks. It's going to be very busy. I, <laughs> I, I think that there's going to be a lot of there's a lot of breaking news that's going to happen. I think there's a lot of, you know, visit recaps, visit previews, some commit stories. There's there's going to be a lot of stuff happening, man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, just stay tuned. I do believe that it's going to be very busy. And, man, we have a lot of LSU fans that love to join the chat nowadays, man. I don't know what's going on I, here. I love it because – well, they're gone now. Good. I love it because they are so thinking that Brian Kelly is going to be this amazing thing. Uh, and uh, – they're going to be so like, man, I, I, I never said that. It's not going to take long for them to feel that way. So it's can, can, uh, hilarious. I, I would just like to say one thing, and I know he's not even in here anymore, but someone said, someone said like, oh, you're, you're, you, you guys are upset that Kelly left or something. I'm going to put this out one time and I'm never going to say it again. Okay. When the news broke that Brian Kelly was gone, I went and I hugged my wife. Okay. That's all I want to say is that wrong Brian- channel, bro. <laughs> There are channels you can maybe go say that about. This ain't it. That's not Coming it. to this channel being like, you're just mad Brian Kelly left. <laughs> you're clowning yourself. I, I, I hugged my wife with a near tear in my eye, okay? <laughs> so I don't want to hear about anything about Brian, Brian Kelly. You know, you know very well my opinion and, and anyone that's been in this. So it's kind of cool. Like I was out at um, I was out at Trader Joe's yesterday with my wife and a guy recognized the Irish Breakdown gear. He didn't recognize me because he hasn't watched the show since the beard came off. Uh, really nice guy, really, really kind guy. But he 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 was one of maybe literally Ryan 300 messages I've got either directly, personally, email, text, DM of I started watching your channel when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame. So just as a business owner, I'm not upset that Brian Kelly left because he's helped my business grow. But even before that, people that were on this channel before that, there's no one in their right mind that's going to be like, you guys are just mad that Brian Kelly left. You're just clowning yourself at that point in time, partner, because uh, this ain't the channel for that, my man. And you're just showing how dumb you are. And, uh, you know, you need to go back. And uh, I'm not going to say what what, uh, what else I want to say. But, uh, you know, these, these clowns, it's hilarious. You're just mad Brian Kelly left. Uh No. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really, I'm really pissed about that number one ranked recruiting class that Notre Dame's dealing with with this freaking Marcus Freeman guy's de- working on. I'm really upset about that. 
Oh my goodness gracious. All right, Matthew Jack says, just found this community a couple weeks ago and I haven't been able to get enough. Lots of love, IB Nation, and go Irish. Brian and Ryan, y'all are the goats. Well, I certainly don't believe that that first part of that comment is true regarding that because, as you know, you know who I think is the goat in this business uh, for Notre Dame coverage, and that is the late, great loose emoji. But uh, I appreciate that at least one person thinks that, and I truly mean that. It, it does mean a lot. Uh, Lucas Strittmatter says, Coach D, who do you have winning the Masters? I have no clue. <laughs> I, I don't follow golf. I guys, only no. know the names of two golfers, and that's Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. That's about it. And I, I, oh, I, sorry, I, I, I can, I, guy. I can name a couple more golfers, but I don't, I don't pay attention to it close enough. To... Is Jack Nicholas in it? I don't, I don't know. Like <laughs> Nicholas. <laughs> Is VJ Singh playing in this? Like, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't keep up on golf. I have no idea, Ryan. I don't know if you follow golf enough. Uh, but all I know is a friend of mine, a buddy of mine, called me today and he was talking about the Masters, how excited he was, and he's like, he was asking me a similar question. What? And I was like, dude, I'm sorry, buddy. I don't have a clue. He's telling me about Tyler. I didn't know that Tyler Tiger Woods got like a real bad. I didn't know that he got in a real bad car accident, and mm-hmm. it's like a miracle that he's even walking, much less competing in the Masters. So I think that's pretty cool. I might yeah. just pay attention now. He does just for that storyline, but I'm just not a golf guy. I enjoy golfing. I just am terrible at it. And so I can only go with people who also enjoy golfing as uh, just enjoy being out on the golf course. I don't particularly love golfing. I like being out on the golf course and having fun, but so many people just take it way too seriously that I can't, I just can't do it, man, because I am terrible. I know I'm terrible. And if you're trying to be serious and, and all that, I'm just, you're, you're not going to have fun playing golf with me. Uh, apparently, VJ is playing, Brian. So you he got is? that one. Wow. Apparently. That, dude's, that dude's been around for a minute. Okay. Ernie Els, is he still in it? Like, those are the only – I really just don't know. I know there's a dude that wears, like, a funky hat that's been in commercials, but if a golfer hasn't been in a commercial, I don't know who he is. So I'm sorry. It, and I'm not one to be like, golf's not a sport. Look, look, a sport to me is something that requires great skill. You don't have to be a four four forty guy or bench five hundred pounds to be a great to be great at, to be a for it to be a sport. I'm, I, that's my belief. Uh, so like, like bowling, people say bowling's not a sport. You can't have it can't be a sport and be a beer. But well, then baseball is not a sport because you ever seen David Wells? But to me, a sport is something that requires a unique physical. It's kind of like the cereal thing. Is this a sport or not? But you know, I I, I have a great deal of respect for golfers because I've tried it and I'm terrible at it. You know what I mean? It's just not something I enjoy to watch. It's like it's like racing. NAS- I would probably, I would love to drive a NASCAR. I think that'd be so much fun. I have zero desire to sit and watch someone else drive a car. I just, that's just my thing. But it doesn't mean I don't appreciate that others do it. So I don't have any golf jokes other than just Lucas. I have no clue about who would be playing in the in the Masters other than Tiger. Is Phil Mickelson in the Masters? Probably. Did he do know. something stupid recently or something like that and got in trouble? I don't know. Not sure. I think I might have seen that on Twitter, you know, because everything on Twitter is real. Uh, <laughs> John A1, as far as recruits, as far as the recruits, the staff is prioritizing to bring in the class. Do the recruiting services align to actually rank Notre Dame number one? Yeah, right, John. That's John. That's kind of the whole point of this whole thing, right? Like we did that show a few weeks ago, Ryan, where we talked about like what it would take. Mm-hmm. So we looked at like the last ten classes. And we did that Notre Dame dream class, which I still think is very possible. Mm-hmm. If not, actually, I think there's a couple guys that I feel better about now than I did when we did that dream class thing. 
And if they sign that class, it is right in line with what has been a number one ranked class each of the last 10 years. Some years are better. Other years are not as good, but it's in that range. So, yeah, I, I think that as long as the recruiting services don't just drop every time a kid commits Notre Dame, um, yeah, I absolutely think that from a recruiting – I mean, we've talked about the practical number one class, Ryan. Mm-hmm. To John's question, as far as the recruiting rankings, yes, I, I believe that they can – and I don't think it's going to happen often, but this is one of those unique years where there's – multiple five-star recruits within two and a half hours of Notre Dame's campus. If we're going to refer to Cardinal Tate as a Northern guy, Charles Jagasaw is a top hundred recruit that is ranked as a top 10 player nationally by on three. That's from Illinois. That's not going to happen a lot, right? right? You're not going to find that a lot. And that's what makes, you know, you're not going to be able to find a year very often where Notre Dame could get, you know, let's just say they finished with this class where Notre Dame's going to be able to get the type of skill talent, that is a Dante Moore, Cardinal Tate, and Rodney Gallagher, and it's all from the north. It just doesn't happen often. And you're going to get two top 50 caliber defensive linemen from the north, referring to maybe potentially a Jason Moore and a Brennan Vernon. It just won't, it just doesn't happen every year. And so that's also what makes this year a bit unique, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah. So anything to add to that there, Ryan? No, I, mean, I, th- I think you said it perfectly. Uh, at, at some point with the players that Notre Dame is in good position with and that uh, could potentially close on, I, I don't think that even a, a drop in huge rankings can stop it, a potential for number one because Notre Dame's doing work, man. It's just right. point like period to it. They're doing work. Matt S. says, Cardinal Tate said in an interview with Sean, uh, he could commit to Notre Dame whether Dante Moore does or not. Uh, he did say that. He sure. has said that. But he also said – he wants to go somewhere with a big-time quarterback. Mm-hmm. If they don't get Dante Moore, they're not going to get a big-time quarterback. I, Chris Vizina is not a guy that's going to convince Cardinal Tate to want to go play with him. I'm, he, I'm sorry, he's just not. Um, the only big-time commits that I think Jackson Arnold could have a big-time impact on is Peyton Bowen, right? So, yeah, he could, but he's not. I mean, that that's the whole thing is based on the criteria that Cardinal has said he's looking for. Because here's the thing. If this was just about Carnell's feelings about Notre Dame, mm-hmm. he would have already committed Notre Dame. Sure. Carnell loves Notre Dame, but Carnell's also a, a really smart kid. And he understands that my love of a school can't be where this decision comes from. It also has to be about who's giving me the best opportunity to go become a, a professional football player, which means I want to go somewhere I'm going to get developed. I want to go somewhere that's kind of a great quarterback. Someone's going to have other good receivers. Someone, there's all these criteria that a smart, thoughtful kid is going to think about. And that's the thing you have to understand is Carnell is not going to make an emotional decision. Because if he was, he'd already be in Notre Dame's class. He is a smart kid. And he understands that that without a Dante Moore, like, look, if Notre Dame landed Nico or Malachi Nelson, Arch Manning, yeah, they'd have it. They'd still have the same great shot. But the reality is if they don't get Dante, because here's the other thing. I, I believe Chris Vizina is on the verge of committing to Clemson. His dad went to college with Dabo Swinney. <laughs> You're not flipping that kid from Clemson, in my opinion. You're just not, right? Yeah. So who's the quarterback going to be? Right? So a, you think Avery Johnson? Is going to be a guy that's going to convince Cardinal Tate to come play with him? No. no. So that's the thing, Matt. So what you're saying, Matt, is not incorrect, and I'm not, I'm not 
pushing back on what you're saying or saying you're wrong. He did say that. I'm trying to add even more context, however. He also said, I'm gonna, I want to go somewhere that's gonna develop me, has a reputation for developing big time receivers and somewhere with a big time quarterback. Well, the reality is, is when you look at Ohio State, Notre Dame can't compete with Ohio State when it comes to developing receivers in recent history. They just can't. They can't. And if they also don't have the quarterbacks to compete with Ohio State, the reality is he's not picking Notre Dame. He's just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's just the reality. So, you know, the Dante Moore piece is going to be a very, very important part to this when it comes to Cardinal Tate because, because he is a smart kid that's going to make a very – thoughtful wise decision and it's not going to be off of his emotions and that's why the Dante Moore piece is so important for him Ryan because if you can start checking off his his decision box list then all of a sudden the emotion of how he feels about Notre Dame becomes even more important and right. that's why Dante is so important this for for Carnell yeah the, I mean the la- the last meeting or the last visit that he took to Notre Dame a couple uh this what was it last week or week before the these weeks are starting to mesh a little bit together it was very recent though Carnell the, the main reason for that visit was and we reported on this of course, of course Sean uh, as the Intel there is to convince the mom right, right. So, like to show this staff because like it's a different staff and they want to be able to you know, meet coach Freeman and to really get insight and to continue the relationship with Tommy Reese. It, it, like Brian said, this is about checking off boxes outside of the emotional decision. Cause at, again, cart, you can listen to Sean's interview with him on the lucky lefty and you could hear just how much, I mean, did you hear the, just the, the vibrance in his voice when he was talking about different spots on Notre Dame, uh, on Notre Dame's campus? Like mm-hmm. he loves the campus, yes. man. He also loves Dante Moore. There's no doubt. I almost cut that clip and put it on the message board when they were just talking about Dante. They're, they are, I mean, he was saying he FaceTimes them with all the time. They talk about where they're going to go to college, just kind of, you know, rattle off like what's going on in their real world, all that type of stuff. So they're, uh, Cardinal Tate loves Notre Dame. It's a, the, mm-hmm. everything around that decision making process is going to be what determines if he ends up at Notre Dame. But the quarterback conversation is a part of that criteria as it's well. a very and it should be it's a very important part of it uh and, and it, it should i mean look if you're a big time receiver and you're not making a, a your decision based off partly on um where a kid you know who's going to be throwing you the ball uh, uh school's proven ability to develop you all that type of stuff then you're not you're not making it for the right reasons if we're being honest and and carnell I don't think people understand how savvy Carnell actually is. Like this is one of the more thoughtful, savvy kids that I've seen, especially for a skill player. Cause skill players are a lot of times about pizzazz and, and he has that attitude. But when you talk to Carnell or when you like watch him engage Malik and Sean, and when you hear about some of the conversations they have off the record, this is a really sharp kid, Ryan, like a really sharp kid. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a very, it's going to be very interesting to see how, um, how this whole thing plays out. So let me get back to some more questions here. Oh my gosh, more LSU losers. All right, NH likelihood of a commitment from any of these players before the Blue Gold game? Very. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Probably I'd be shocked if they don't have multiple commitments before the blue gold game. Well, I was going to say this, Brian. Let's let's change the the co- conversation we had earlier a oh, little I, bit here. I think I know where you're going. I like this number of commits over mm-hmm. under before the blue and gold game. I'll set it at two and a half. Ooh, before the blue public commitments, right? Boy, that's a good one. I'm going to go over because I mm. think it's going to be three. I think I would go over as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't feel as confident about that one as I do the whole thing. Right. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go over because I think there'll be three. And I think you know the three that I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. All right. Two on yeah. offense, one on defense. Yeah. Is yeah. where yep. I'm leaning. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I'm at now. I'm 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 confident there's gonna be two. Like I'm not at all I, I I'll be shocked if there's not two. Getting to that third could be a little bit that's a little bit more of a projection than a knowing for a fact that he's going to come. Right. So that's a good one. That's a good one. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why, what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. TC, Ty C, do you think Notre Dame can get Tate or do you think he is basically a Buckeye? I know he's close with Dante, but I just get the feeling he's all Ohio State. He's not all Ohio State. He's not. And, and I think part of the reason some people think that is twofold. Number one, it's just the, that's been the media hype for a while. Number two is, you know, again, Carnell's a savvy kid. He knows how to play the social media game. But do I think Ohio State is the is the school that I'm most concerned about? Yes, it is. Uh, do I think he's all Ohio State? No. Uh, I'm not saying Notre Dame necessarily leads for him either. I'm not saying that at all. I think right now he's – I think if you were to really ask Carnell – where he's leaning. I think you, if you asked him it every day for a week, you'd probably get at least two different answers, maybe a third, Mm -hmm. because I think he has genuine interest in several programs. I do. And if Cody Burns was still the receivers coach at Tennessee, I'd be just as nervous about Tennessee as I would be about Ohio state because the Burns plus Nico combination would have been tough. Mm -hmm. He really liked the receivers coach at Tennessee. And Ryan, as we talked about the job he did with that group of receivers this year, I get it. <laughs> I certainly get it. Yeah. And I mean, you, you also have to understand why Cornell would be interested in Ohio state, right? Like, I've, I mean, there's not many schools that have done better at producing wide receiver right. talent over the last few years. I mean, right. they have more guys that are going to be playing on Sundays in a couple years from now. So yeah. there's, there's interest in both areas. It's not just strictly one or the other right, right. now. Because they're going to have two, probably two first rounders this year. I would imagine. I know you don't necess- you don't have Alave as a first round. Like great, I, I did, correct? I, I, 
I, not a first round grade, but I put him in my first round mock draft right. like 20, 27 you think in Tampa he's Bay. Get picked in the first round, but you don't Correct. grade him as one. So they Correct. probably have two first round picks this year. Mm-hmm. Barring injury, I would imagine they'll have a third next year, correct? I mean, you see oh, Jackson yeah. Smith and Jigba as a first-rounder, correct? Yeah, I, I like him more than Chris Olave. Yeah. Right. For an NFL projection, yes. Sure. Agree yep. with that. Agree with that. That's how I'd rank those three. It's Garrett, it's Jackson, and Olave. That's how I would rank them. So Notre Dame's had three first-round receivers picked in – I mean, gosh – more they haven't had three in 10 years. I mean, Fuller was around one, Floyd was around one. Before that, who was the last first round receiver to go? I mean, I can't, it's been a while. Not a lot of second round picks. Golden Tate was second round, Claypool, yeah. but not a lot of first rounders. And you know, we could we could spend another 30 minutes debating on whether or not Kevin Austin could have been next year, uh, if he'd have come back, but we're not gonna <laughs> do that again. Charlie Weiss's last bell loop. Haven't seen you in a while. Uh, and he actually now has a picture of Charlie Weiss. That's flipping hilarious. Any word on Ryan? This is for you. Any word on Rico Flores? Because we actually do. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, Rico is visiting also for the was the no, it's not the Blue Goal game. I, I apologize. He's, he's, he's coming. Yeah. Oh, he's, yeah, yeah. So he is coming June tenth through the twelfth. He will be on campus the same weekend as Cooper Flanagan, the De La Salle commits, also out of the state of California. Looks like, uh, I mean, Rico made he had a updated top schools and Notre Dame made that list and he's going to be uh, coming on June 10th. I still think it's a, a bit of a long shot for Rico Flores in the class, but getting him on campus is certainly a big step in that recruitment. From what I'm gathering, Ryan, from talking to different recruits, it sounds like June 10th is going to be there because, you know, every summer they have a big weekend, like one, like re- this is the the big weekend. Yeah, I believe as of right now, June 10th is going to be that because there's a lot of commits coming for their officials that weekend. And that's usually a sign that this, that's going to be the big weekend, because usually you want your commits around to, you know, help you recruit other players, you know. Uh, so I have a feeling that's going to be the case. Uh, Laker Irish asks, who are the other players for Braylon James? That's uh, that's easy. Ryan, Texas, LSU, mm-hmm. Stanford, to me, are the three biggest for him. Would you? Yeah. And he has his top nine, but I think those are the three that I if if Notre Dame was going to be concerned, I think those are the three mm-hmm. that and it would be LSU and Stanford in that order would be would be the way that I would go. Yeah, yeah, I would say Texas would be a distant bottom of the list there. Like he just doesn't really care that much about staying close to home. So LSU definitely had some interest there, and Stanford that that was like one of the big ones, Brian. I remember when we we had a little bit of an intel that like Stanford's also a big. Right. player in this too we're like oh he's a little bit of a different guy i would uh, argue that before his lsu visit stanford was number two now there were some people hyping stanford up more than they should have because they didn't have the intel we had but if notre dame didn't get involved with braylon james stanford would be a much better player for him and i'll tell you something else right now if stanford was the program they were six years ago mm-hmm. they'd be much tougher than they are right now. But I think LSU would be the only one that I'd be at all worried about right now. And again, I'm not concerned about LSU at this point in time. We have a couple more receiver questions we'll get to. I'm just going to kind of go in order here. Uh, Tommy Gunn says, so beat Ryan. I I love that, by the way. That's hilarious. Uh, If we get everyone we think, and they hope they will, referring to Notre Dame, what other number one classes would it compare to, both locally to Notre Dame and compared to other top teams' best classes in recent history? I do some research there, right? <laughs> well, based on based on the numbers, like so that dream class we did a month or so ago, 
what that number would have been, it would be like right in the middle of the last 10 years. Like mm-hmm. Bam, A&M's class last year was better. Georgia had one class that was better. Bama had two that were better, I think. Something like right in the middle of some really darn good classes uh, is, is where it'd be. Now, if they can pull off a couple upsets, like Jaden Osbury was not part of that thing, right? Um, you know, there was a couple other guys that like Jaden Lamar was not part of that that class, that we that dream class we had. So if they were able to get him, for example, if they were able to get a Jaden Osbury, then I think it ups it a little bit. But it's not like the AM class from last year from a ranking standpoint. Now, I'll take the, if Notre Dame gets the dream class that we're talking about, I'll take that over Texas AM's class last year every single day of the week because I don't want a class where a third of your class is at one position that's not a third of your roster spots. I mean, I'm sorry. I just, that was a very unbalanced class. Now, there's some excellent players in that class at multiple positions. I mean, their receiver class was pretty good too. I love their quarterback was one of my three favorite quarterbacks in the class, but there's also some spots they did not do as well. So I'm just not as in to call that the best class of the last 10 years to me shows the flaw of the ranking system, the points based ranking system that takes into no account fit need or any other context, Ryan, that, that really was my big issue with it and why, if Notre Dame gets the dream class we've talked about, I would I wouldn't trade that for AM's class last year. That's I fair. I mean, what was it like seven or eight defensive line committees? Well, when that, right? that kid reclassified, Lebius Overton reclassified and committed to AM last week. Yeah. That gave them eight defensive linemen. Uh, like uh, how are you're not going to keep all eight of those kids for a long term. Like you're just and you not can't play all eight of those kids. That's the exactly. other thing. So you can't play them all. Like if you loaded up on five corners, you could legitimately play all five of those corners on the field at the same time, at least three or four of them, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's just, and, and, and I, and so, well, you know, you could have a ro- a rotation of two each. Well, no, because they're not all, there's not two big ends, two vipers, two, three techs and two nose tackles. There's like six <laughs> defensive ends. I know, you know, it's just like, it's just, you know, again, there's parts of that class. I really, and look, it's not to say it's not a really good class. Like that's a, that's a heck of a class. And a lot of years I would trade that class for Notre Dame's classes. I'm talking about the dream class that we've referred to, you know, which is basically Dante Moore. It would now would include Jane Lamar, Cardinal Tate, Braylon James, Rodney Gallagher, uh, Charles Jagasaw, Monroe Freeling, Two of the five, like uh, Absher, I think was one. I think another one we did was like either Sarah Veld, I think might have been one. Like not an elite. We, we, what we did is like not to where they hit a home run and land every single kid at every position, right? We had Jason Moore and and I can't remember who the fourth defensive lineman was. Uh, we had Samuel and Pemba, but not uh, but not um, Osbury. Osbury. Yeah. And we only had them adding a, one corner. I think it was like Christian Gray, who I don't. Right now, I don't see Notre Dame getting Christian Gray. That's the only guy on the list that I look now. I'm like, I don't think they're going to get that guy. But Christian Gray is not a super, super highly ranked guy. So it, they're still on. They're still and, – and Kenny Moore had a comment about that too. He said he would consider Christian Gray an upset. I would now, but I wouldn't have three months ago. But that to me, that that class right there is a, is a special class because you've literally, Ryan, at that position you've landed – a potential difference maker at every single p- 
position. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, when you, when you think about, I mean, so you have a five-star defensive end, you have a top 50 defensive end on the other side of him or interior player, potentially, if you land a Jason Moore, that's another top 50 kid on the interior linebacker wise. I mean, you have a top 50 kid in Drake Bowen, top 40 player in Drake Bowen. You have Samuel and Pemba. That's going to, I know I saw that. I was about to put that up. Actually, I was about to put it up. Eight two one defense. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I don't know if who's going to be covering wide receivers in that defense, but like, I love Wheel it. routes are going to be a problem for Texas a <laughs> in that defense. You, you might have to do eight one two instead. You might that's need right. a little something different, but yeah. Now, I mean, like you said, there's, there's at least two guys on the second level that are real difference makers. There's at least two to three on the defense line that are real difference makers. You have, um, you have Peyton Bowen on the backhand, who is an absolute difference maker, and you also have Justin Rett, who can be a difference maker if he hits his upside. So, yeah, I mean, you have – it's not just like a good, solid player in each spot. You have you have dudes at mm-hmm. multiple spots right. on that team. I mean, the, the, the two positions where you got the least impactful players would be running back and tight end. When 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 Cooper Flanagan is one of your your lowest ranked best players at a position, you've got a heck of a class. I mean, that's you know what I mean. Like, I, I mean, he's ranked at what, what was it one hundred six by two four seven one hundred eight one hundred eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he's a consensus four star recruit. <laughs> if that's and, and actually, you'd probably say Jane Lamar actually would be the lowest at Fair. that point in time. Fair, right? If Jalen Lamar's your worst number one guy to position, you're doing all right. <laughs> You've got a heck of a class. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I, I, to your point, I, I do believe that Notre Dame has an opportunity to, um, to, to have that kind of, kind of class. Uh, so, somebody also asked this. This has been asked several times. I do want, yes, Braylon James it has delayed his commitment. It's going to be, um, it's going to be the nineteenth. My understanding is there's two reasons for this. Number one is CBS Sports didn't want to have to compete with the Masters because their CBS carries the Masters, correct? Right, Ryan. I believe CBS carries the Masters. I believe so. so. CBS Sports didn't want to have a commitment announcement during the Masters, which is apparently a really popular event. I I, I didn't realize like watching the Masters that be. I haven't watched a Masters since I was in college. I watched that one that Tiger won by like 20 strokes. Do you remember? Do you, are you too young? Yes. You're probably too young. No, I, I know. I know like, you're talking about. I yeah. mean, I watched that one. Cause like at the time I'm like, Tiger was such a, you, he was a unicorn. I mean, just dominant. Like, he was, I mean, just dominant, but he was also like, he looked different. Like this mm-hmm. is a young kid. That's like athletic, like muscular. He's athletic, yeah. you know? Um, and then of course it was a cool story. So, but I enjoyed watching that. And, but like, I'll be honest. I was one of those people that only watched golf. If tiger was doing something, if I saw somebody texting me like, yo, I'd turn it on. Uh, but that was it. I've never really been a, I've never really been a golf guy, but yes, he will be committing on April 19th. I believe is the date, uh, for his decision. So, uh, that is, that is the plan as of right now. That was what I was told last night. So I want to get to a few more here. Here we go. Here's the receiver question couple of receiver questions here as we get close to wrapping things up, Ryan. Brandon mm-hmm. Plesner says, I feel like we have a good chance to land James, Tate, and Hannafin at receiver. Uh, a Gallagher, Great House, or Flores would just be an absolute cherry on top, although Gallagher is the most important in my opinion. So Ronan Hannafin as a receiver is a really interesting one, Ryan, because mm-hmm. 
we have only ever talked about him as a athlete, but he yeah. has to start somewhere. Sure. And I think as of right now, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I believe as of right now, he wants to start off as a receiver. And and I know that Notre Dame would have zero problem allowing him to play receiver and giving him yeah. a legitimate chance to stick there. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that's because of where they are at linebacker. I think the fact that they have done so well recently with Impemba and Osbury and the fact that they got press and center has made it even more of a, sure, you want to play offense? Cool. Because right. we, we, we think we are in a better place over here than we thought mm-hmm. we were. So, yes, Hannafin, I think, for the purposes of where he would start off with, I think we do need to look at him as a receiver. Yeah. Is that fair? I mean, is that accurate yeah. from the conversation you've had with him and his, his 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 people? No, that's fair. That's very fair. I would say, as far as this question, I, I, I guess I would agree that the, those first three names would be the ones that I feel best about currently. Like how things are trending with Rodney Gallagher and Jaden Greathouse, but certainly they look like they're in a great position for for Braylon James. They look like they're in a good spot for Cornell Tate, obviously fighting with Ohio State. Ronan Hannafin, I feel like they're in a good spot, even though his offer list has been, you know, obviously increasing over the last few weeks. I'd say, <laughs> yeah, but I still think they're in the the trouble with that one, Brandon. In my opinion, though, with that three that trio right there is that they're all three, like they're ideally outside receivers, right? So you don't really have a guy that projects incredibly well as a slot receiver. That's why I think it's mm-hmm. paramount. If you do get those three, you have to get a Rodney Gallagher. Or I even think, and I know Brian's probably going to push back a little bit on it, I think that Jaden Greathouse could also play slot. So that would no, be... No, no, like, not at all. Because yeah. it's how I... See, because I am with you, Ryan, because I think yeah. a lot of people view a slot as a shifty or... Rod- right. I don't think a slot has to be that. Notre Dame was recruiting C.J. Williams as a slot. I think it depends on how you – now, if you used him and you're throwing him bubble screens and you're running screens all day, yeah, he's not a slot. But in a pro-style offense, Ryan, a slot can be a physical kid that can that's a great route runner, that can work the middle of the field, that can get open. 100% agree with you. I think he can be a slot. I don't know if that would be where I would start him per se, but if that's where he fits best, no problem with that. So, no, you – in Notre Dame's offense – I wouldn't push back on that at all. Now, in other offenses, in Clemson's offense, I would say, no, he's not a slot. But Clemson runs a traditional college spread. Notre Dame is a pro-style pass attack. So, no, we are on the same page in regards to his potential to to be a slot. No no doubt. Yeah, and I, I think that that in this in this scenario again, like I, I say that to to illustrate the fact that you need a guy that can project favorably into the slot. Like Carnell, take a play in there if you need him to. Braylon James, maybe, I mean, like all three of those guys can play a little bit in the slot, but they're not mm-hmm. true slot players, right? So you need to either get a Rodney Gallagher, you need a Jaden Greathouse to make that a re- elite wide receiver group. Like you need one of those guys. Right. Look at the, the, uh, the uh, bots are in full effect today for some crazy reason. Uh, so we just got hammered with them, but we will, uh, we will try to fix that. Here we go. This is. I'm going to come back to this question here in a minute when Ryan gets back. Uh, get to a couple here that we go. Let's see here. Here's an interesting one that I, I can address without Ryan being here. It says, Taylor Sharp says, do you think Notre Dame made a panic hire with Freeman since Kelly left last minute? Wanted to get everyone's thoughts. Absolutely not. And the thing that you have to understand is that 
when when Marcus Freeman was hired by Notre Dame, he was a guy that Jack Swarbrick had his eye on as a potential next guy in line. I think the reason that Jack Swarbrick took some time to move on to Marcus Freeman is because that's just who Jack Freeman is. He does not make when it comes to hires, he does not make like quick, irrational hires. He's always going to be thoughtful. He's always going to see what else is out there. And I think that's smart. You know, if 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 Nick Saban calls and says, hey, I want to come coach Notre Dame, well, I'm sorry, I've got this guy that's never coached before. I mean, you, you know, you may have to take that call and at least see what's going on. But he always thought that Marcus Freeman was that guy. I think the other part of the reason it maybe took a little bit longer is because the expectation when he came was that he'd be here a couple years because Marcus Freeman had told Notre Dame he was going to be here two years, like at least two years. He had kind of given that verbal commitment. And if you know Marcus Freeman at all, he's a man of his word. Now that was with the assumption that Brian Kelly was going to stay. Once Brian Kelly left, Marcus Freeman was no longer held to that because he would have been working under somebody else. He was not going to come back. But if Brian Kelly had stayed, Marcus Freeman would have stayed for another year. Jack Swarbrick knew that Brian Kelly's time was coming to an end and thinking it would be in two to three years and Marcus Freeman being that guy to replace him. So I think Marcus Freeman always had an opportunity if he proved himself at Notre Dame to be that replacement. I think that was part of the reason that Jack Swarbrick was so willing to, to open up the, the, the checkbook to get him here in the first place. So I don't think anything about it was a panic hire. I think it took some thought. If anything, it they took more time than I thought they should have. I, I thought it should have been a decision that was made quickly. And yet he, Jack's, I mean, Jack Swarbrick reached out to several people. He interviewed Luke Fickle. I'm, 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 I've been told that with 99.9% certainty that Jack Swarbrick and Luke Fickle had a face-to-face meeting about the head coaching job. Uh, I know that he talked to Matt Campbell. I know I'm pretty, I could say it now, I'm pretty confident that he he had conversations with Dave Clawson was a guy that they had a conversation with. There wasn't really a ton of interest on either side, to be honest with you. But there was at least that conversation. Like he did his due diligence reaching out to people. So that is the exact opposite, in my opinion, of a panic hire. And I think what it also shows is there were several coaches that would have taken this job if offered it. But he wasn't. I mean, it was always going to be Freeman. That's why if if you're if you're not if you're new to this channel, you don't know this. But if you go back to during that process, there was a lot of national people talking about Luke Fickle being the guy. And what we said at Irish Breakdown on our board and on this channel was that's not what my sources are telling me. My sources told me from day one that they thought Freeman was going to be the guy. That that's who they thought Jack was going to want, and someone else was going to have to blow Jack away in order for it not to be Marcus. And so when coach had his second meeting with Jack, go, what I was told is going into that meeting, it wasn't really, he wasn't quite sure if it was like, okay, are we going to do it now? Or am I going to go for a second interview with Luke Fickle or a second interview with Matt Campbell or maybe keep it open? But when it wasn't, so they had a second meeting is what I mean they had the first kind of initial informal conversation right after Kelly left. That was the first conversation. So it wasn't a meeting. It was a first conversation. The second meeting was the formal interview that, that Jack had with Marcus. I was told going into that meeting that even though Marcus was the leader and the guy that was kind of always going to get the job, that Jack wasn't necessarily in, I'm going to decide now mode. But about halfway through that meeting, 
it was like, why are we wasting our time with anyone else? This is my guy. So Taylor, to answer your question, I don't, I don't think it now we'll find out in three to four years, if it was the right hire, I think it, I think it will be, but you know, we'll find out, but in no way was it a panic hire. And, and I think those things are clearly different. A panic hire is, Oh gosh, you rush into a decision and you make one. That's not what this process was about because again, Jack Swarbrick had already been planning for Brian Kelly. Look, Jack Swarbrick knew halfway through the year that Brian Kelly had checked out. Believe me, Jack Swarbrick had had conversations with people before the season ended. Jack Swarbrick wasn't completely blindsided by Brian Kelly leaving. I think going to LSU the time that he did was surprising. They weren't prepared for the timing of it. But Jack Swarbrick was not completely caught off guard by the fact that Brian Kelly wanted to leave. Right. And Kenny Moore makes a great point here. LSU made a panic hire. And I have said that before, Kenny, and I think you are spot on. Um, I, I think LSU panicked because they lost Billy. They, Billy Napier had already said no. Mel Tucker had already said no. They thought they were getting Lincoln Riley. He goes to USC, and you're looking at the list of available candidates, and it wasn't a super impressive list. And, and you know, I, you know, I, I think, man, I, I think that was one where I felt like absolutely – was a panic hire and it absolutely was so i think kenny i think you were spot on about that all right john climate with a super chat he says can you talk about how having past players come back helps with recruiting and why bk supposedly did not like having them there was it uh his me complex i mean look we've talked about this so much basically brian kelly just didn't embrace the tradition of notre dame brian kelly thought him and his staff were like especially him was like this is the this is how I want the program to be, and it wasn't he he didn't really embrace the past the way that I think he should have. He would he and whenever he did, it was always in a self serving manner. You know, it's like there was a event he had a very early in his career with with Coach Parsegian and Coach Holtz, which was it was a very you know sort of a you know a situation where it was kind of like uh, um, it was a, it was a media event, right? It was a it was a that's all it was, and and. You know, it it was always that if there, if he ever embraced former players, it was always in a way that was sort of just for his own self serving needs. That's just who he was. But I think there was other practical reasons in his mind why he didn't do it. But how it, it helps a ton because number one, like it's it's kind of like why players like hearing from current players. You know, coaches can tell you all you want, but. You get around the players and the players are going to tell you how it really is. And, and it's like you meet, you can, I can say to you, Hey, look, here's all the opportunities that Notre Dame prepares for you for life after football. That sounds great. And every school says that. Like, if you noticed ever since Notre Dame kind of started the four for 40 thing, like really made it popular. I don't know if they were the first one to do it, but they were the ones that really sold it and made it popular, which is a really good pitch. Now, since you hear everybody talk about that right? So there's clearly value to discussion. Everybody talks about it, but can you live it? Well, what's the best way to show kids that this four for 40 is a real thing? It's to meet players that have lived it. It's to, it's to meet the Todd lights and see like, yeah, I was a national champion. I was a top 10 NFL draft pick. I think top five NFL draft pick. I won a Super Bowl. I played in the NFL for over a decade. I made lots of money playing football, but you know, my degree at Notre Dame, what I learned at Notre Dame allowed me to then take that money and invest it in this way. And so now, even though I haven't been playing football for so long, I actually 
have more money now than I did when I retired because I've been able to use my opportunities to, to through different, different business ventures to go have a level of success. Guy like Jerome Bettis can talk about how the opportunities have opened up for him and why he's coming back as an alum to finish up his, his degree. And I thought his comment yesterday was the best part of the press conference uh, with the, about the Tennessee state game was talking about as a soon to be alum, this is Jerome Bettis who got done playing football at Notre Dame in 1992 talking about how he's assumed to be alum. I thought that was pretty cool, but you know, it's, these guys can live it. Like they can say, look, man, here's, here's, here's what it was like. And it was tough and it was this and it was that, but it was so much, it was so worth it to go through all those things because this is what it's done for me now as an I'm adult. And a lot of kids, a lot of kids really want to see that stuff. And that's going to be, that's going to be the key. Um, that's, that's absolutely going to be the key. Uh, to, to this whole conversation, really. A couple other things here we got from Tyler Bedwell. Tyler says, watching Ronan Hannafin's film, he is the type of kid who you ask him what position he wants to play, and you let him play it. Pure athlete who makes plays. Tyler, I agree. For I agree like 95% of your comment, and the only 5% I don't agree with is a 5% we don't know about now. I think there comes a time where you could look at your class and say, yeah, I know you want to play this, but we're so good there and we have needs here that we need to have an honest conversation with you about this. And I think that's especially needed in today's era where kids can leave after one year. You've got to be honest with kids. And so I think when you look at it now, I think it's a scenario in which right now, today, and where I think the class is going to go, 100% let Tyler let let Ronan Hannafin pick where he wants to play. 100%. But I think moving forward there could there's a chance that could change based on things that we don't know about. And so I would expect it to say that stay the same and I expect myself to agree with you. All I'm saying is I think you just have to leave yourself the out of if things change down the road. But right now, man, I, I agree with you completely, Tyler, that I'm going to allow him to play wherever the heck he wants to play. And John A1 asks, how much of a how much better is Hannafin at wide receiver compared to Nolan Ziegler? Well, much better. Like Nolan was a really good high school receiver, but Nolan wasn't a guy that was going to come to college and play that position. He, he just wasn't. He wasn't a guy that necessarily um, – would would look at it and say hey could you play receiver in college no he just like he couldn't play safety in college he was a linebacker now he was a great high school player at receiver just like prince uh collie was as a you know 1900 yard running back nolan always projected as a defender he didn't have the like nolan's an explosive athlete but you know ronan's kind of fluid he's kind of smooth and i think he has a chance to to be a, a really competitive guy in regards to being a good route runner. He has got a chance to be a guy that has really good ball skills. He has some natural receiver tendencies, whereas Nolan was just an athlete that could thrive it in high school because he was an athlete. And so I, I think those are the differences between the two. I think one guy is, is a little bit more practical. And so – we have, I think this is an LSU fan. He says, so wait, if we're all glad that Kelly is gone, uh, why do some of you hate LSU? None of us hate LSU as far as I know. We hate when LSU fans come in here and act like idiots. That's what we hate, just like we do with every other fan. We have an Alabama fan. We haven't seen him in a while. Ladarius Martin comes in here, 
talks about Bama, it's always respectful. We're going to kick out LSU people that act like idiots. It's as simple as that. So, Mark, you're still posting because so far you haven't done that. And if you're an LSU fan and you want to come in here and have a conversation with us, talk to us, push back on things that we might say about Brian Kelly, you want to come in here and say, hey, here's why I think you're wrong, Rekha, we'll allow that. Absolutely we'll allow that. You start saying stupid things and uh, you know talking about Rudy as if that's relevant or making some other comment, then sure, we're not going to allow that. But we are always going to allow that. We had a Michigan fan on here recently. So if we're going to allow a Michigan fan to be on here, then we'll absolutely allow a LSU, LSU fan to be on here. Matter of fact, before Brian Kelly took over, I kind of liked rooting for LSU. Uh, I, I think the 2019 LSU team was, we've talked about this on this show recently, it's one of the best teams I've ever seen. Certainly the best offense I've ever seen in my lifetime. And you, if you compare it to like the 2008 Oklahoma offense, because LSU could also score in the postseason. So don't come at us with that kind of stuff, Mark. That's that's petty and juvenile. Uh, nobody here hates LSU. I, I can't stand people that say because you criticize someone, you hate them. That's petty and childish. I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm telling you, we don't hate LSU. We hate fans of any group that come here and act like idiots. And as long as you don't do that, Mark, you will always be welcome. Always be welcome. Uh, and and now Mark has acted like an idiot, and now Mark is going to be gone. I gave you a shot, Mark. I gave you a shot, and you had to act like a 12-year-old idiot. And so now you're gone, and so no more Mark. I'll tell you, the next LSU fan that come here, comes in here and acts like an adult will be the first LSU fan that comes in here and acts like an adult. Goodness gracious. Uh, which I guess makes them fit really well with Brian Kelly. So there you go. Uh, so he here we go. Here we go. Uh, let me see if we got any questions here. Uh, here's a comment from Jeff Hunt. In the last five years, Notre Dame has had four receivers drafted to Ohio State's three. And in the last 10 years, Notre Dame has had eight receivers to Ohio State's nine, one of them being Braxton Miller, who was a quarterback. Number one, uh, real quick on that, Jeff, uh, Ohio State br moved Braxton Miller to receiver before his career ended at Ohio State. So he was not a quarterback uh, in the sense that he was still playing quarterback, like, say, Keenan Reynolds or, you know, Trace McSorley was a guy that the, the teams had talked about wanting to move. So I don't think that's necessarily accurate, but I also think that you're you're – not really looking at it from the standpoint of the way that I think you should. So the reality is, is that number one, um, in the last five years, so that's 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. If you're going to look at receivers, Ohio state has had four receivers drafted. Okay. So they had Curtis Samuel, they had Terry McLaren, they had Paris Campbell and they had KJ Hill. That's four. Okay. Now, some of those guys weren't super high, right? Paris Campbell was two. Terry McLaurin was a two. None of those guys have been first-round picks. But again, oh, I'm sorry, five. They've had five receivers in the last five years. Uh, I miss Noah Brown. So Braxton Braxton Thomas or Braxton Miller uh, was part of that last 10. If you go back the last six classes, you go again, you got to remember, this is also a school that has produced Michael Thomas and Braxton Miller. Devin Smith, right? So the reality is, is Ohio State has produced a lot of receivers and there's been more consistency to it. The reason Ohio State hasn't produced a lot of receivers the last couple of years is because all the receivers have come back, right? So the fact that Chris Olave didn't come out last year is why he wasn't drafted last year. So, you know, I, I don't I don't think that's really um I don't think that's really an accurate thing to say. 
you also have to look at high school kids don't care about Michael Floyd being picked or even really Golden Tate. They don't know who those guys are. They're going to look at recent history, right? And from Will Fuller on, Notre Dame's done some good things as a receiver, but we can't really sit here and honestly contend that Notre Dame can compete with Ohio State in regards to what it's done in producing receivers. We really can't do that. Number one, a lot of those receivers from Ohio State have actually been better in the pros, right? Miles Boykin hasn't done a thing in the pros. TJ Jones is okay. Will Fuller's never had a thousand yard season. Michael Thomas has led the NFL in receiving yards. I mean, catches a couple times. I mean, Terry McLaurin's been a really good player for Ohio for for uh for the he's with Washington, right? So you have to be honest, like object not honest. I did not mean it to be honest. You have to be objective about it, in my opinion. And if you were being objective, you can't look at the last five years and 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 argue that that Notre Dame can compete with that because you also are ignoring the fact of what's about to happen. And that is Notre Dame's best receiver is not going to get picked anywhere close to where Ohio State's top two receivers are. So, yes, I think Notre Dame's receiver production has been a little bit of – it's been underrated. But it also can't compete with that, especially when you look at what they've done while they are in college. So uh, that's that's the key here. So I'm gonna, I'm just going to get to this question, and if Ryan comes back, he comes back, and he can address it. If he if he can't come back, said something come up, then then he can address it at another time. Laker Irish asks, how would you rank the following: Braylon James, Jaden Greathouse, and Rodney Gallagher? I for me, it's Braylon. Gallagher, great house. I would be willing to bet, and and we'll see if I how well I know Ryan. I'd be willing to bet that before, like before Ryan speaks, I'd be willing to bet that Ryan would have Jaden Greathouse number one of that group, at least for right now. But for me, it's it's Braylon. See, and to me, Jaden Greathouse is an intriguing player because I've said before he's the best high school player on the board for Notre Dame. I mean, if you just look at what he is today, if I'm putting together an all-star, Ryan, we're talking. So I want to ask you a question. Yep. I spoke for you, and I want to see if I'm right. Okay, this is the question. And I said I think that Ryan would probably put Jaden Greathouse number one, but uh, kind of diving into the reasons why is that Jaden Greathouse has got the highest floor of any receiver on the board, and to me that includes Cardinal Tate. Because right now he's about twenty five pounds heavier than Cardinal Tate, at least, <laughs> at least, yeah. You know, and he's a very advanced player. Jaden Greathouse is going to go somewhere and play as a freshman, like he just he just is. Mm-hmm. For me, I combine floor and ceiling a little bit more, and that's where Jaden falls down for me. But the fact that we could be in a conversation about players that Notre Dame couldn't land and Jaden Greathouse could arguably the, be the fourth guy says a lot about the quality of the board. Um, yeah. I, I think he's a really good player. I just don't know how much better he's going to be than what he is now, which is still a pretty good player. So I would take him in a heartbeat. It's just if I can only have three and my options are Cardinal Tate, Braylon James, Rodney Gallagher, and, and Jaden Greathouse, Jaden Greathouse is going to be the odd man out for me. And I, you know, that's just that's where I stand. So for me, it's Braden or Braylon, Rodney, mm-hmm. and Jaden. What say you, Ryan? Uh my first would actually be Rodney Gallagher. I really like Rodney Gallagher a ton, man. Interesting. I, I think interesting. he's gonna be dynamic. My my number one would be Rodney out of this three. 
Second would be Jane Greathouse. I really do love Jane Greathouse. And then Braylon James would be the last. And I think also, Brian, what you just said, like if Jane Greathouse is your fourth guy, if Braylon James is considered your fourth guy, then you're doing all right, man, because these are all top 100 type of receivers, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. I like Braylon. Upside, absolutely. Jaden, for me, I, I think, again, I think that I just have a little more of a, I, I believe a little more in the upside than you do. But mm-hmm. I also, we, I think we 100% agree on what the floor is. And I think Rodney, Rodney could be dynamite, man. Like he could be a he could be a dude. So you said he's your one. He'd be my one. one. Rodney be my one. Yep. Interesting. Very Mm -hmm. interesting. So you'd have Braylon James as your number three out of this list. Yep. See, that's the one guy we have the biggest disagreement on. We don't disagree a ton on Jaden. We don't disagree at all on Rodney Gallagher. The guy you and I continue to disagree on is Braylon James. That's the one we continue. No, I don't think it's slightly. I think it's pretty significant because he's my clear number one of this group, like clear number one of this group. You know, because again, I'm looking at who's going to have the best college career. You know, who's the guy that's going to be the biggest difference maker? And I Mm -hmm. just, I think he's going to be really good. And I think especially he's transferring high schools. Yeah. uh, So, you know, we'll see if that improves the coaching he's going to receive. But I just, he's that kind of kid that for me as a receivers coach, Ryan, Mm -hmm. I love kids like this. Because it, it's like what Harry Heastan was uh, – or no, who was it? Was it – no, it was Al Washington was talking about this the other day. He's They were asking about Jason Owen. He's like, you know, I kind of like these raw kids because it's like there's less I have to, you know de- – I don't remember the exact way he said it, but like there's less I have to kind of deprogram, right? And that's kind of how I always felt. Like if you got a kid that's just out there being an athlete – and this is going to be true of Rodney Gallagher as well. If a kid just hasn't played the game – or the position or hasn't played at the level I need him to, then he has less bad habits. I got to break where if, if you're not completely sold on how Jalen Greathouse run routes, it's you're going to have a lot. You're going to have to break down first. So you're going to have to kind of take him as is. And that's one of the things I love about Braylon is I just look at him and say, man, that kid hasn't come close to reaching his full potential. Like I have argued he, he, he had, I have argued he is at the very least, has the is tied for the highest ceiling at receiver in the class. And and that's with Tyler Williams and Cardinal Tate. Like those three to me are that's the discussion I'm going to have about who's going to have the highest ceiling. Rodney Gallagher's interesting, Ryan, because he's such a different kind of player. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to put Rodney number one simply because there is so much projection needed to where, whether he's even going to be a receiver. The only time I've seen him catching a ball in a game is either as a defensive back, a punt returner, or a shotgun snap. Now we've seen some camp highlights of him catching the ball and he, he catches the ball well, but you know, my stance on catching the ball without pads when you know, you can't get hit. It's fair. That's a different animal. So not that I would disagree with you about Rodney. It's that's where my hesitation comes from. But as an athlete, he is a must get for me as mm-hmm. the receiver, because he does bring that unique aspect to it. And here's the question I'm gonna have for you, Ryan. We talked about Jaden grading out as a slot. What would you rather have at slot? a Jaden Greathouse or a Rodney Gallagher? Not necessarily the player, because you just said Rodney's your top guy. I'm yeah. talking about stylistically. Just Europe, it doesn't have to fit the Notre Dame offense, what you <laughs> like as an offense. It's a good question. I, I would probably still defer to Rodney, just because I really like the ability that he has to manipulate space. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that... I think that Jaden can manipulate space in the sense that he's a dynamite route runner and he understands where to sit down and get zones and, and to work into space. But I think that Rodney just gives you a higher upside as a slot receiver. So I would probably defer to Rodney 
And especially with how the game is going, and this is not even pertinent to Notre Dame as much. I mean, we've seen RPO just kind of continue to continue to get even more emphasized around the league, around college football as well. Like that kid in the slot in a heavy RPO system, talking about Rodney Gallagher, like that's dynamite, man. Like he's going to create a lot of explosive plays. Jaden Greathouse is going to make a lot of plays because he has great hands and he's a really good route runner and he's a physical kid. But I don't know if he's going to make explosive plays at the next level. And I know I know Rodney Gallagher is going to make some explosive plays. I personally feel like to have the best offense possible of what I like to do offensively, you have to have at least one guy that is a get the ball in his hands and just let him play kind of guy. I think you need one. And, and I think Rodney's that guy. So that, to me, if I had to choose between the two, that's another reason I would take Rodney. That's my personal preference. I don't think that necessarily has to be true in Notre Dame's offense, but even then we saw last year, if you're going to run to be running RPOs and screens and stuff, you need a guy that can turn a five-yard pass into a big play. Because some teams are saying, look, we're going to let you nickel and dime us all day because eventually we're going to break up a pass. We're going to, you know, we're going to shift our coverage and take that away, or you know, we'll, we'll be able to make a mistake. But if you have a guy that, man, if if we don't take that guy seriously, if we don't cheat out our slot or our nickel defender, and that guy catches the ball, he's going to make one guy miss and he's gone. You know, we right. have to contend for that. It just adds an element to your offense that can be really really hard to contend with. So I'm glad I, I tried to hold on to this question as long as possible. My like, he's just not coming back. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. So um, I, I, there's a, a Michigan fan joined the chat. And I and I, I think this would be a fun way to end the conversation because he, he had some things uh, that I wanted to kind of to, to get with. And I want to find his other questions. So just give me one second. Um, give me – he had a question about – Is it Antoine? about Ohio state. So he had okay. several different things, but I want to kind of get to, to this part okay. of the question. So um, he, he, here's an interesting part of this Ohio state matchup that I'm really curious about because I've had some very intriguing conversations about the future of Ohio state football. And this is what, this is what Rodney said. And I don't have it quite in the order because the, it stars in the order that I star them, not necessarily the order that they that they come. So I'm trying to look at the order of it. He said, uh, so here goes, I'm a Michigan fan, so welcome, Antoine. As we said, we welcome all fan bases if they come with respect. So far, Antoine has definitely done that. I'm a Michigan fan. Do you think Notre Dame has a good enough running game to test Ohio State? Uh, I think if Notre Dame is able to run the ball, you may be able to expose them, especially with that new defense. And then he kind of started talking about that. Uh, and he goes, you know, Ohio State has a very arrogant fan base. I'm glad we were able to kick their butts last year. Yes, Rodney or Antoine, we have all talked about that in this channel. Ohio State fans are super freaking annoying. But he kind of talked about, Ryan, he had another comment, and this is what he said. He said, Michigan exposed Ohio State last year. They're very soft ever since they got rid of Urban Meyer. Ryan Day's made them a passing team. They don't deal with them uh, with them trenches too good. And this is something that I find very fascinating, and we're going to learn a lot about Ohio State this year mm -hmm. because I I don't disagree with what he's saying. I don't either. Like, <laughs> they they really wrote. I mean, look, it's like with Larry Coker. If you just look at Larry Coker's first two three years as a head coach, you this guy's pretty good. If you just look at the record, I don't think we definitely know yet what kind of head coach Ryan Day is going to be because Ohio State runs the ball for good yards. But even then, it's like they're not a real – like they're big. They're kind of – they just – it's like their line is just a bunch of big guys that just lean on people. They don't like blow people up. 
Defensively, I've never seen a team waste more five-star players up front than Ohio State has the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. They're not the same team they were in many – they have not had a good defense since Urban Meyer left. I mean, right. Well, right, well, the first year, right, 19 was Day's first year. That's the only mm-hmm. year they've had, and that was with Jeff Halfley. Yeah. But I think he's – I mean, you know, again, we'll see what happens with Jim Knowles. That's part of the reason Jim Knowles was hired. But in game one, I mean – I, I don't I I've heard this made by Michigan fans before and it's and I've had this conversation and and we have seen this a couple times recently where when Ohio State's played a team that's real physical Alabama beat their butts in the trenches last year the reason Clemson couldn't is because Clemson wasn't very good in the trenches last year in 2020 so Clemson wasn't Clemson's offensive line in 2020 was terrible so they weren't going to beat up Ohio State but Alabama Beat. I mean, if it's not for a couple of turnovers, that game's even less competitive than it was, and it wasn't competitive. So, mm-hmm. overall thoughts on this, Ryan, and just and he had another one, um, you know, saying if Notre Dame has a good running game, they can beat them, and, and talk about like not emphasizing the pass game, all this kind of stuff. But this is something that I don't think enough Notre Dame fans that are petrified of that opening game uh, are are really talking enough about, and that is Ohio State has not been a good team in the trenches for a couple of years now. Yeah, I mean, I would like to start with Ryan Day conversation for a minute here. I've seen a lot of lists where, and I've actually had conversations with, with my friends in the past, like over the last couple of years, where a lot of people rank Brian Day as like one of the top like two or three coaches in college football. And I push back against that a lot, man. Cause like, I, yes, he's a very good offensive coordinator. There's no doubt. Like he can, he can call a good, good game. But mm-hmm. to your point, Brian, I mean, can we give the guy a little bit of time? Like, can we see his, his guys in sure. like, I mean, I don't but know. I think I, that's the issue that I think some people have. Right. Cause right. He's now been here three years mm-hmm. and you start to see, okay, what trends are we seeing? Right. And I think that's the thing that people look at. Now, the reason I'm willing to say yes to you, to your question, can we give him some time? Yes. Is because you look at the moves he made this off season. Sure. He didn't make moves that a coach that went 11 and 2 usually makes, which is I'm overhauling a lot of stuff. Completely overhauled his defensive staff. Got rid of, you know, Urban Meyer's O line coach. Brought in Justin Fry. Justin Fry is a believer in running the football. I mean, he was a BC. They did it at UCLA. So I think he, I think Ryan Day recognizes that they were soft in the yeah. trenches, mm-hmm. is why he made the moves. Now, just because you recognize it, I mean, Lincoln Riley brought in Alex Grinch to make the Oklahoma defense really good, and it never really got really good. It got it wasn't terrible, but yeah. it was never really good. So it's one thing to know you need to do it, but can do you have the chops to do it? But I do think Ryan Day recognizes that that's a problem. That's fair. But yeah. I, I think we've seen enough trends to say it's a legitimate question as to whether or not he can push the buttons to get them where they need to get to in my opinion. And, and because of some of the things we've seen, because it's not always just about firing your O-line coach and all of a sudden you're better because stud was the same O-line coach Ohio state had when they were running for 250 yards a year. Right. Right. And so is it him or is it you? It's like, you know, Matt Nagy fired Harry Heastan because he thought it would be better. And, you know, came to find out Harry Heastan was never the problem. Matt Nagy was right. (laughs) Right? right. And so, but, so like last year, I mean, with Travion Henderson and and with Mayan Williams average over seven yards a carry, they still only averaged 180 yards per game last year. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a philosophy thing, right? Because obviously right. they're not running the ball a ton. So, I mean, it's a great point, Antoine. I, I, I do subscribe to parts of what you're saying for sure. I mean, 
And it's a weird too, Brian, because you would assume, yes, there's like no tenacity with that offensive line, but they are large. So you would think like yeah. they would be better moving right. forward than working backwards, right? Like in reverse. But I, I think there is, I mean, there's definitely been some underdevelopment on both offensive right. and defensive line recently. Like there right. has, I mean, we talked about Zach Harrison a ton. Zach Harrison's physical gifts are off the charts, but for whatever reason, he hasn't materialized over the last couple of years. Offensive line, Nicholas petit Ferrer didn't materialize as a, as a great he player. He regressed every year. Yeah. I mean, he, di- he didn't get any better. Thayer Mumford didn't get any better. Josh Myers was a good football player, obviously. He went in the second round to the Green Bay Packers. But even the right tackle, Dewan Jones, is a really physically gifted player. But he hasn't mm-hmm. really turned it on either. So I think there's been underdevelopment. I think it is a good sign, like you said, that Ryan Day – recognizes that he identifies that as a problem and he made changes for sure. But I do think that there is something to be said that like, Hey man, there's, there's ways that you can take advantage of Ohio state. This isn't like this behemoth that everyone, like, and I get it, but I I do think Antoine makes a solid point that it might be a philosophy thing more than even just a, I don't know, like a, I I don't know if it's like a, a individual, you know, deficiencies from a player to player perspective, or if it's just the fact that, Ryan Day likes to pass the football a lot, and right. that kind of puts you in some bad situations. Because you 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 find out what a coach is the deeper he gets into his tenure. And this is my point. If you look at the first year that Ryan Day was the head coach, they had J.K. Dobbins. They ran for 266 yards a game, 5.6 yards per carry. J.K. went over 2,000 yards. 2020 didn't dip that much. They went for 256 yards per game, right? And they only played eight games against an all-Big Ten schedule. So it's just kind of like um, – you know, they ran for a bunch of yards against Bama. They only went for 147. The only tough team they played all year, they only went for a buck 47. And then you look at this year, Ryan, and it's it's down to 180. Now, 5.5 yards per carry compared to 5.63 in 2019 mm-hmm. is not a hard – it's a, it's a minimal, minuscule difference. To have an 86-yard drop in yards per game, that is 100% about usage. 100% about usage. And so when I look at that and I'm like, you had Travion Henderson going for 6.8 a carry. You had Mayan Williams going for 7.1 a carry. Heck, Master Teague the last two years had a significantly better yards per carry average than Kyron Williams, but like two-tenths of a you know of a yard. I mean, that's that's a decent difference. And and yet you still only went for a buck 80, which in today's game, 180 yards per game is not is not a ton of yards. I mean, it's ranked them last year 47th in college football. So that's the thing for me is, so we're going to learn a lot about what his true philosophy is this year, because if they're going to get and and it last year, Ryan was with an offensive line that returned what four starters. And you had a stud freshman back. Yep. I mean, so you can't be like, Oh, it's because they lost Trey Sermon. No, it's not <laughs> with all due respect, Trey Sermon, Tr- Sermon, they were fine at running back last year with Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams and master Teague. So, and Marcus Crowley. So anyway, I think there's some merit to that. And, and I, and I think you talked about the defensive line part too. The fact that Isaiah Foskey had more sacks combined than all of their five-star defensive linemen is crazy. Yeah. And I would love to see Zach Harrison in a Notre Dame uniform because they would coach him up. I think that's the other part too is, is Larry Johnson just hasn't been that guy for a few years. And you wonder like, he's getting older now. Like is he, he's like 70 now in the or He's close to it. Isn't he? He's gotta be right in that oh, ballpark. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Let's see here. Larry Johnson is 70. 
Yeah. I mean, so like he's getting up there and sometimes you wonder like, has, is it, is it kind of past that point now? So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I, I, I think that's the thing that we're just not, and we'll get more into this as we kind of get, um, as we kind of get closer to that the summer and we kind of dive into that game. But, you know, I, I think that's an interesting, interesting aspect to this. And then now you, you lose your, you know, your two stud receivers and all that kind of stuff. Toe jam said uh, the Ohio state DC is the guy that put the Oklahoma state defense in place that beat us in the bowl game. Should that be of concern? Uh, no. Number one is because he didn't put that game in play. He didn't put that defense in place from the standpoint of preparing for the game, which is not what toe jam is saying. He built that defense over four years, but he wasn't there. So he didn't prep for Notre Dame the way that Notre Dame prepped for his defense watching his film, number one. And number two, and and I've pointed this out before, if you go back and look at Jim Knowles when he took over Duke in Oklahoma State, he had Duke – Ryan, you and I have talked about this. Duke was was a pretty good defense considering the kind of talent level you can normally get. Their secondaries especially had some – really good college football players in it. You know, that he mm-hmm. he he was part of what helped recruit, you know, the the Rumpf and and Chris uh was it uh Victor D. McKeegee, right? Like he built yeah. a defense that allowed them to go out and recruit guys like that. You know, they, they had some good football players, but his first year taking over, they gave up more yards and more points per game than they did the year before. Same thing happened at Oklahoma State. More yards and more points than they gave up the year before for the coach he replaced. He runs a really complex defense, mm-hmm. and and it has it takes time to learn it. Yes, it does. And and so that's the thing for me. Like by November, maybe Ohio State's players figure it out. I have a hard time thinking that by that. And here's the other thing, Toe Jam. Uh, remember what Notre Dame did to that defense? <laughs> they passed for 500 yards in that game. You know what I mean? And Oklahoma State had a, a, a far better defense last year than Ohio State did. Far better. Now, I would argue, and I think you would too, they didn't have the, the NFL athletes that Ohio State has, but they had better football players. With all due respect, there's not a linebacker at Ohio State that's beating out Malcolm Rodriguez. Not a one. Good player, yeah. Uh, now, maybe he's not the NFL prospect that some of those guys are, but, you know, so – I don't think the defense was the problem, especially when you look at Notre Dame's going to have an, a much better offensive line when it comes to running the football now than what they had in the bowl game. So, I mean, if if Notre Dame faces the same exact defense they faced in the bowl game in against in Columbus, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I can dig that. <laughs> so, um, I, I can live with that. So, anyway, Ryan, anything else to add to this conversation? I, I think that's all for the questions. I don't think we have any anymore um no i mean like you said if if you want to see a jim Knoll coach defense it's your first game after the transition right like Knowles is a very good defensive coach there's no doubt about it and he'll get ohio state and he'll get ohio state in a very good position if they're patient if they're patient by year two three i would say by by the latest because he'll have better players than he had at duke and in oklahoma state so they're going to be able to get away with things i would argue by the middle of year two at the latest is when we'll really start to see that defense. And then going into year three, so 2024, if he's still there and and if he's willing to recruit, you'll really start to see that defense be really good. Right. But the reason Jeff Halfley was able to have success in 2019, I mean, immediate success, right? is because Jeff Halfley brought a really, he brought an NFL defense 
but he also understood that it's about let's line up. Let's make sure our kids know where to line up. Mm -hmm. Let's be aggressive. Let's turn them loose. It wasn't a super complex defense. And I think that's what worked for them in 2019. I don't know if you agree with that, but that's what I saw when I watched Austin 2019 is like, he's got some NFL stuff in there, but at the same time, it's a lot like Clark Lee was simplistic. They got to be able to run to the football. That's the most important thing. Fly to the football, teach them how to tackle, teach them how to line up and then let the talent take over. Jeff Halfley did that. Right. You know, Greg Shiano was trying to show everyone how smart he was. Hmm. Kerry Coombs as great of a DB coach as he may be just isn't that guy as a coordinator I mean some guys are just meant to be assistant coaches sure. and Kerry Coombs is just one of those guys that's just a he's just a defensive coach co- assistant coach he's not a coordinator Jim Knowles will get that defense right it's just like you said Ryan it's not going to be the opener if, 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 if yeah. Ohio State shuts Notre Dame down the opener it's going to say a lot more about Notre Dame than it does about Ohio State in my opinion agree agree so anyway that's going to be it, everybody. Uh, a couple people, too, brought up about Oregon, too. Oregon beat Ohio State up in the trenches last year. It sure did. The only reason that, that was even a competitive game was Oregon just didn't have horses to run with Ohio State's skill players. I mean, and that's my concern about Notre Dame, if we're being honest. That's 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 the, the thing for me, too. But um, I'll take Notre Dame's offensive line for what I think it's going to be over what Oregon's was last year, as good as Oregon's offensive line was. So, um You know, that's kind of where I'm at on that. So anyway, that's going to be it, everybody, for today's show. Uh, This is a fun show, man. This went a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. I was not (laughs) expecting it to be a three-hour show, but, man, we had a lot to talk about. So everybody, thanks for joining us today, Ryan. Thank you for for coming back and and getting to those last couple questions. I thought that Ohio State thing was really interesting. I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that. So uh, Because I know you've watched a ton of Ohio State film the last few years, kind of getting ready for the draft. Yeah. Uh, So I, I appreciate that. So anyway. Uh, everybody have a great rest of your day we have a lot more recruiting stuff coming up i got about two or three stories that ryan and sean have sent me today that i gotta go edit and publish and get on the site and uh ryan's gonna get back on the horn and, and get to, to some more kids as my man mace k mace ak always says join the message board smash the like button subscribe to the channel hit the notification bell share the podcast and if you are a part of the message board and you haven't gone on today we got some dante Moore scoop on there mm-hmm. and if you're not on the message board and you want to hear the dante Moore scoop Sign up for the message board and you're going to be able to find out. So uh, anyway, all right, everybody, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for joining the Irish Breakdown Podcast.